Airline Pilot Guy, Episode 360. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 505 in the Hyatt Regency, Indianapolis. Today's show was recorded on the 29th of January, 2019. Today's episode, U.S. government shutdown ends. Yay! More drone-induced disruptions. A Russian bomber crashes. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, 34 seconds to touchdown. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 360 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we cover aviation news and answer your feedback. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, our favorite backstabber, Dr. Steph. That is me. I will gladly have that title. And can I just say, is it really only Tuesday? It's only Tuesday. Again. <sighs> more <Uh-oh>. IPA. <laughs> Bad week. We'll have to hear more about that in a moment. But in the meantime, let's introduce contestant number two from his home recording studio in the English countryside. He's a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hey, hi there, Jeff. R-A-A-A, that's three A's, that's good. I shall, I shall tell them that, <laughs> they got it wrong. Uh, lovely to be back on the show again, looking forward to going round in circles on 360. Oh, very clever. And joining us. From his mobile, and when I say mobile recording studio, I mean he's like in his vehicle right now for the moment, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear from him. If not, we'll hear from him when he does arrive soon. But this this man is a barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, he's an underwater photographer, and last but certainly not least, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. It's Captain Dana. Well, hello, everybody. I'm feeling like I'm going around in circles and circles, the late pilot that I am, and I'll be joining everybody here live. <laughs> okay, we can't hear you at all. <laughs> we kind of hear, we know you're talking, but we couldn't, I don't know, did you Did you guys hear him at all? It sounds like he's in a vehicle. He's in a vehicle. And speaking, and speaking. He's on the way home from his trip, and uh, his dedication is endless. And uh, we're going to hear from Dana when he arrives home. But I just wanted to get that in at the very beginning here. So just a little teaser. And I was going to have, I have a chair over here. You probably can't see it in the video. All set up. And I had this, um, 
this microphone here because I was expecting a special guest host for today's show. Yes, I'm still continuing to interview potential new hosts. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that looks like a nice uh, Seinhauser. How do you pronounce that? Uh, Sennheiser. No, this is Sennheiser. actually a Sure Beta 58. Oh, the Beta 58. Yeah, it's very, very nice. nice. Uh, low handling noise. He, he would. Yeah, he would. It's going to sound really good. Uh, here, this is what it would sound like if you were here. Okay, now I'm talking on the Beta 58. What do you think? That's even nicer than your usual, man. Really? Ooh. Well, it's got a different quality. Maybe I should use this sure. one instead of the uh, Heil. Okay, here is the beta, and now I'm going to do the Heil. Here's the Heil. Now, the Heil sounds a little more natural. Okay. Anyway. Sounds more like you. So I got, I, uh, got an email from Steve Louisiana Steve. We know him in the APG community. I met him uh, in person at Oshkosh, uh, not last year, but the year before. And uh, he was uh, going to, well, he's about to start his training at an ab initio program for Republic Airlines, another uh, mid-career or mid-life career change uh, in our community. And uh, he was, he's on the road right now, but he, he wrote me and said that he was going to be able to make it for the show because he had a flat tire. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of an uncommon thing to have issues with tires, right? I think we're going to hear we're going to hear more about uh, tire issues from Dana once he uh, arrives at his home studio. But anyway, uh, so uh, Louisiana Steve, I know you're listening to this. I'm sorry that you weren't able to join us on today's show because I was really interested in asking you some questions about this Ab Initio program that you're about to start um, in just a few days here in Indianapolis. But uh, anyway, so I guess we're just going to have to do it without Steve. But uh, Anyway, so how is everybody? Good? Yes? Good. Okay. Sorry, had to reach over to no, get I had the, to make uh, sure. I looked down and said, oh, I wonder if I, I have your slider up. I do. You just heard crickets. Nothing. She's just <laughs> fighting the dogs. I am at the moment. Dogs? The well, dogs so, plural. So, dogs. Yeah, dogs? dogs? What do you mean? What's going on dogs. there, Steph? Well, we, I added a... Uh, Four-legged furry friend to the family this past weekend. Okay, hey, for Taco. And as you can see, Taco is currently sitting on my lap uh -huh. because he's in charge. Uh huh. Is and, there uh, any uh, <laughs> jealousy issues with the new minor family member? Minor. Oh, just got a glimpse of him right over right here, chair. Yeah, the other one is difficult to corral at the moment. He's uh, five months old, uh -huh. and. His name is Truman. Oh, I love the name. I don't know if you can see him past me. He's right here. I can see him. Yeah. Sort of. Anyway, he's yeah. sort of. He, he might have some beagle in him, maybe. Not really sure. Mm -hmm. He's a little bit taller than Taco. Weighs about the same. He's kind of all legs right now. Mm -hmm. Kind of lanky. Lots of energy, right. but very well behaved. Potty house trained. Ooh. Oh, for wow. the most part. Bonus. Yeah. And um, he and Taco do get along. They do play. Except for when Taco's feeling slightly territorial mm. like when he's on my lap yeah right now. <laughs> <laughs> so how how is the sleeping arrangement going oh uh so you for the past two nights it's been me in my bed one dog on my right and one dog on my left and i can't move because <laughs> they both have to be smashed up right against me <laughs> so they're the bread and you're the meat of the sandwich 
interesting analogy, but yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. I hope that's not inappropriate. I didn't intend it to be. <laughs> no, no. Oh, yes. they're uh, the crackers and you're the cheese. Yes, yes. Okay. That's, uh, any way you want to look at it. Yeah, but, well, you're um, the fuselage, they're the wings. There you go. We can I keep going all night. Aviation, uh, uh, I like the aviation analogy. Yeah, I like analogy. that too. This very nice. Very well. well, at some point, for those of you watching the video, I will probably get Truman on my lap. I'll probably get... He'll probably attempt to uh, bulldoze over me across the chair here at some point because he's got a little bit of energy. Um, and he has no idea yeah, what's good. going on. No idea. No Of course, clue. we don't either, really. Well, Taco doesn't really either. So <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so how has your week been, Steph? Uh, you kind of hinted that it feels like it's deeper into the week than just Tuesday. It, it's been, I mean, the work. So the weekend was great. Had a couple of days off, obviously, uh, did the stuff with getting the puppy, um, nice and relaxing. And then right back to the grind on Monday, had a very long day yesterday, had a longer than expected and slightly more challenging day than expected today. And I've got three more very long days ahead of me before I finally get to the weekend, which none of it sounds very fun, but um, I was texting with Jeff a little bit before we started the show saying I might... Uh, excuse myself just a little bit early just to make sure I get enough sleep for the upcoming rest of the week because it involves meetings with administrators and stuff. I should probably be, um, you know, just make sure I get enough sleep yeah. the next couple of days. Hey guys. That sounds like a Thank great you. idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then I have a, um, this upcoming weekend traveling to Folly beach near Charleston with a friend of mine to run a half marathon. Um, so another reason for getting, Lots of good quality sleep this week, hopefully. So we should see. Excellent. Well, we can't wait to hear how you do with the half marathon. I'm sure you'll do. Yeah, well. it's it's meant as a tune-up race for my uh, upcoming full marathon in uh, Tokyo in March. Ah, yes. Okay, cool. So we'll see. All right. So, uh, Nick, how have you been, sir? I guess you just returned from a trip to the States. Yeah, got in uh, earlier today. Uh, that's been really the only thing I've done since the uh, show, other than just a bit of work. And um, the trip out to Washington was just uh, as long as you could and dreary as you could imagine. Uh, geez, uh, eight hours 33, I think the flight time was. We went up to say hello to Greenland on our way to um to Washington, so I'm going, oh, my Lord, the winds over the Atlantic must be uh, very strong west to east. And uh, having had a, uh, a night in Washington uh, and climbed on board, it did, in fact, turn out to be that way. Uh, so 8 hours 33 coming out, uh, 6 hours and 8 minutes going home. So that's the difference that uh, the, uh, the jet streams over the Atlantic can make to your flight time. Um, in fact, as it turned out, of course, Everybody from the East Coast was arriving at Heathrow at about the same time because we, they, everyone had uh, short flight times. And the uh, the jet band finishes at 6 a.m. So everyone was uh, planning to arrive uh, just after 6, and we were in that, that mob. Um, so, uh, you know, we... we messed about with our speed obviously got some shortcuts usually cuts a few minutes off so we were going to get in uh, just after six rush i thought was perfect but of course uh, all the um far east traffic arrives around the same time 
And uh, it was just, uh, you know, everyone and his dog was lined up trying to get in. So we joined the hold at, I think, 12,000 feet, which is, you know, it takes a while to get your turn to go in. Then there are four holds around. So, uh, you know, you think, oh, there's only four aircraft in my hold. No, there's another five and then another four and then another however many so it takes a while and uh, we were having been slowed up over ireland uh we then spent 20 minutes in the hold and uh, so we got in uh, still early for schedule but uh, added an extra half an hour into our flight time which was a bit of a pain uh, what about all your yeah. uh, connections up in uh, heathrow tower i mean uh, apparently sadly Tower doesn't control that ah. stuff. It's uh, it's the lovely folk down at Swanick, and I don't know how many listeners we've got down at Swanick. We need we need to make some friends. Yes, I do. I definitely know. I need to. I need the Heathrow directors to all start listening <laughs> to the show, and I'll be singing their praises when they let me straight in. That'd be brilliant. Uh, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I mean, but, surely uh, they could arrange that. You've only got what? How many more days? Uh, yeah. yeah, I've only got three months. It's not to that go. many more more flights. No, it's they not. Could be, no. They could be nice. And Another half dozen flights, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Give the man a break. Come on. No, yeah. right? A nice way to send you <laughs> off at the end of your Exactly career. right, yeah. But uh, Washington was due to snow just after I left, which was good timing, and the UK was going to receive some snow just after I arrived. So that for me, the timing was perfect. And when I uh, eventually drove uh, home and got home, I had a little package waiting. Um, I don't know if you uh, remember. I um, one of my oddball flights was to pick up uh, a whitetail uh, A three forty six hundred, which had just come out of mothballs, and fly it up to Manchester, where they were going to repaint it. Mm-hmm. And when it mm-hmm. came out, it came out uh, with a special Virgin. Uh, oh God! You see, that just shows how tired I am. Got your bleeper. <laughs> It's <laughs> never happened to Jeff before either. Don't Do you worry. mean like no, an uninitiated no. um, airplane? It, yeah, it was a white tail. When it came out, it came in with an with an, uh, an airline logo on the side, uh, and they they printed a special one. So it was a big thank you from this airline. It was written on the side, and I thought, oh, that's great. And then someone, uh, Gem and I, started making models of it. And uh, by the time I found it out about it, most of them had been sold. So I bought one off eBay. Um, from a private seller. And when it arrived, I thought, oh, great, it's my model. And I opened it up, and there's, a, there's all the the logo on this one side had been all smudged red and looked a complete mess. So oh. I thought, oh, that's disappointing. eBay. But uh, already having, yeah, I know, already been in touch with the uh, the guy who said, oh, I've got, I've got a pristine one. I'll, I'll send it down, and when it arrives, and if you're happy, you send me the old one back. So... That, that hopefully will be cured. But basically today is, uh, uh, for me and for everyone, a lesson in jet lag because having landed at uh, seven-something this morning, uh, I've slept a lot of the day, got up, and now I've got to try and get through the rest of the day, go back to bed. Tomorrow I might be feeling vaguely human, but <laughs> tonight I'm just a completely uh, fatigued, jet-lagged mess. So I apologize in advance. IPA is the cure. Yes. And I, I think I can speak for the entire community and let you know that we do appreciate the fact that you're here with us after all of that. I wouldn't miss it for the world. You know that. Awesome. You know what? I saw a photo on Facebook 
that uh, somebody took of a an A340-600 taking off at uh, Heathrow. And you can actually see your your beautiful mug mm-hmm. in the window. I saw that <laughs> yes. too. Yeah. That was the lovely, uh, that was the lovely Mike, who's one of the aircraft, uh, airfield operations uh, drivers, personnel. So he's the guy with the uh, ping pong bats, and he's the guy that rushes around and uh, um, sorts out problems that occur on the airfield, uh, you know, whether it's as menial as picking up litter or as important as escorting big convoys around. These are the guys that do all those kind of uh, airport operations jobs. And uh, shout out for Mike because he drives Leader 8 uh, around the airport uh, I, when he's on shift. So I think there are two or three shifts a day. So not every time you see Leader 8. And that's the big yellow 4x4 uh, four four that's got an 8 on the bonnet. Uh, Mike will often be in there. Uh, so, uh, hi, Mike. I spent a day with him uh, photographing aircraft. Uh, and um, we, uh, we've we communicated ever since. I'm going to try and spend another day with him because it's great fun. And uh, he kindly, uh, when he knew I was getting airborne one day, sidled up beside the runway and took a photograph of me. And uh, it's one of my most treasured photographs, actually, because I just got airborne in a 600 and uh, you can clearly see us on the flight deck, and uh, it's rather yeah, nice. Yeah, I, w- I would love to have a photo like that of me in the cockpit of some airplane that I'm flying. Uh, if only we knew a photographer or two. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll need to stick one go. out somewhere. You can with a good invite me over. Exactly right. Invite me over to uh, Atlanta one day. Okay. Well, here's your invitation. I'm doing it on air. Nick, come on over to Atlanta anytime. Thanks very much. Now I, now I just need to get onto the airfield beside the runway yeah. uh, with my camera. Uh, no that shouldn't be easy to yeah, yeah, no fix that. No, no we don't have security. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. Well, again, thank you for uh, staying up late for us. And uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to hear from Dana when he... Uh, arrives in the studio. We're looking at the video here at uh, Dana. Looks like he's still in traffic. Looks like he's he's putting up his hand against his neck. Sure, like I think he might be choking. Like he's trying to choke Isn't himself. Isn't that the universal <laughs> sign for choking? <laughs> Sometimes Atlanta traffic can make you feel like choking yourself and just ending it all. <laughs> yeah, just put me at, out of my mind. At least it's only a Monday, though. Uh, although... Um, a Monday? Wait, no, Tuesday. I'm sorry. Didn't you tell me it was no, Tuesday? No, it's Tuesday. I'm oh, sorry. Please, please don't take me back to Monday. feels like Monday to me. <laughs> <laughs> this week should not be any longer than it already is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Atlanta was supposed to get like, you know, Snowmageddon again. Like this, And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. This doesn't feel like it's going to be a big deal. And sure enough, I think it turned into a big old nothing burger. Um, I don't know. Maybe Dana can tell us um, the... Uh, uh, the contrary, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, Oh, looks like Dana is actually home. Okay, good. So we'll be hearing from him in his home studio shortly, but, uh, I left this morning from Atlanta, a four day trip, uh, just one leg. It was a tough day, uh, from Atlanta to Indianapolis, but I got out of there. I'm thinking I need to get out of here before all this tremendous amount of snow and just terrible things happen here. I'm not sure that, uh, that, that there was any snow at all in Atlanta, uh, but uh, if there was, it was very little. And uh, anyway, so I've been up here in Indianapolis, uh, three more days to go, Greenville, Spartanburg tomorrow, um, and Louisville, Kentucky on Thursday, and then one leg home on Friday. If you want to 
check out our schedules, you can go over to airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar, and then you can see the uh, APG community calendar there, along with um, upcoming meetups. Speaking of meetups, I had a private meetup with my very good friend and very, very longtime listener, and I'd say probably my one of the first play, uh, fans uh, of the of the well actually it was the um, uh, Catholic pilot days when I started podcasting and then transitioned to the airline pilot guy and Colonel Jeff yes the good-looking Captain Jeff uh, had a layover in Atlanta on Sunday and no wait, it was Saturday never mind Saturday and so he contacted me and said hey are you going to be available on Saturday afternoon to get together and have some beer and dinner and I said oh yeah sure and then it wasn't long after that that I was looking at my calendar and went, oh, wait, wait a minute. I, I, I am now singing in a couple of uh, ensembles, one on Saturday afternoon and one on Sunday about midday. And I said, oh, crap, I forgot. I have to um, sing at the vigil mass on Saturday. And, well, Jeff is the uh, good-looking Captain Jeff is also Catholic. And I said, hey, how would you like to attend mass at my church. And then afterwards we can go and, um, you know, have some beer and dinner and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, that'd be great. So I went down, drove down to the airport, picked up Colonel Jeff, and we drove up to the north side of town where I live. And we went to the uh, mass and the rehearsal before mass and then mass itself. And uh, he he sat up there with me in the balcony, and it was great. It was a good time. I'm glad that uh, we got to share that together. And then afterwards, we went over to um, one of my favorite seafood restaurants in the Roswell area called Hugo's Oyster House, I think they call it. Uh, and we had some uh, great oyster appetizers and um, great uh, seafood entrees and maybe a beer or two. And then I drove him back down to the airport and he got a good night's sleep before he headed out the next morning. So Jeff, uh, great time. Really enjoy. I always enjoy spending time with you. And uh, yeah, that's it. Unfortunately, I forgot to get uh, take any pictures or record any audio or whatever, but uh, it was still a good time. So that was uh, the weekend, and then on uh, Sunday, I ended up picking up a, a just a quick trip to Myrtle Beach and back, just a turnaround, and I was off on Monday, yesterday, and now back out on my trip. So that's pretty much what's been happening with me since the last recording last Tuesday. Um, Talking about meetups, Jeff. Yes. I just realized I remembered that uh, my next trip uh, is going to be into New York mm -hmm. and it's going to be uh, the night of the soup bowl. So um, I'm going to uh, have some nice Nick, soup. Nick, Nick, it's soup, yeah? super bowl, not soup, oh. soup bowl. Not soup or bowl. Sure? Soup or bowl. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to have, I was going to have some nice tomato soup to celebrate. Um, you can still do no, that. Anyway. You, yeah, you can still do that. We're not, we're not knocking yeah. the idea. It's just, oh, okay. there will also be a, a football game. Yeah. So anyway, it's the third and uh, I'm uh, meeting some folks. Uh, I know uh, there are going to be a couple there at least uh, at the Bear Authority in Manhattan uh, near the bus station. 
uh, you know, six-ish, half six probably, probably half six uh, on the third. So anyone's around, welcome to join us. Okay. Fantastic. Are you going to... Hey, were we talking about um, meetups real quick? Yeah. Or... Sorry, I had to step away after I sung the praises of Truman's um, house-trained ability. <laughs> I turned around to catch him in the act. Truman. And uh, there had to be a little bit of... Uh, 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 you weren't paying a, a learning, a learning opportunity there, and then clean up a clean up. Tree. there was a bit of a learning opportunity there for Truman, and then a cleanup uh, moment for me. <laughs> so sorry about that. I'm not sure what I missed, but that wasn't too important. No. Um, anyway, meetups. Yeah. <laughs> um, February 13th. I'm going to be in the Salt Lake City area, and I arrive rather early-ish in the day. Um, I've already spoken briefly on Slack with Brian Parrott, who is in our chat room right now, about uh, organizing a meetup. Have not decided on a specific place or exact time as of yet, um, but depending on whatever works out best somewhere, either in Salt Lake City or Park City. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's going to be a challenging show for me. Well, no, it was Taco first. Ah. Taco's barking, I think, at the deer, and then Truman heard it and went ah. running to go join the course. Um, so anyway, uh, February 13th, it's a Wednesday, um, probably around five o'clock ish somewhere near Salt Lake City. I'll, I'll, uh, arrange some more details and, and let you know of them when I know them. And where would we go staff to find out more details about, Oh, you can, you can head on over to Slack. Yeah. And if you're not sure what Slack is, or if you're not yet a member of our Slack team, stay tuned to the end of the show and Hillel will give you, uh, all the details you ever would want or need about how to become a member. And we're also on Twitter and Facebook, so we can always put things there as Indeed. well. And Indeed. on the website, airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar, uh, you can see all these nifty meetups on the calendar. That is if we put them on there, <laughs> but I'm sure we will. Um, speaking of that, uh, we do have a meetup coming very, very soon at the uh, end of this week on Friday. Hopefully, I'll have this published on Friday. So if you're listening to this and you happen to be in the Atlanta area, well, get in your car right now and go and meet meet up with us. I'm not sure where we're going to be yet, though. Uh, we're going to be somewhere in the Atlanta area on Friday evening, probably around 6, 6.30. Robert Fairbairn, Dick Richard, uh, Robert is going to be in town, and so we're going to. We thought that that was a good excuse to have a, a meetup. And uh, again, not sure exactly the venue or the time, but it's probably going to be around six six thirty. But please follow us on APG Crew and uh, Airline Pilot Guy on Facebook, and join the Slack team. And finally, just check that APG community calendar every single day, so you don't miss anything. So looking forward to that. Also in February, we have uh, after Dr. Steph's meetup in the Salt Lake City slash Park City area, we're going to have a meetup uh, in uh, at the Atlanta International Airport at the Delta Flight Museum, uh, Hops in the Hangar. And if you haven't already purchased your tickets, well, I have some bad news. They're, they're sold out. So hopefully you were able to buy some tickets and you'll get to hang out with the rest of us on the 23rd, Saturday, the 23rd of February. Okay. That is all I have. Uh, anything else from 
anybody else in the crew for, as far as meetups or oh wait let's let's talk with Dana. Looks like Dana is all set to uh, tell us about what he's been up to. Hi, Dana. Hey, guys. Yes, I've made it home safely. Uh, I uh, made it through the perilous traffic in the Atlanta area. Actually, no traffic this that, evening. That was pretty quick, actually. Yeah, it's only a 30-minute drive from the time I step into my car until the time I, my truck, I should say. Uh, although, car does sound better with my accent um, until the time I pull into my garage in my driveway. And uh, so, uh, yeah, made it home pretty quick. Shouldn't have been home this late. Well, why did why did you get home trip. late, Dana? Well, why don't I just start with the beginning of the trip? Okay. My word. So, yeah, I had a round trip up to St. Louis and back, and uneventful, but uh, shortly after takeoff, climbing out of St. Louis, uh, we get the obnoxious ding, and look down, and there's a message, reroute, and I was like, oh, no, come on, really? We only have 55 zero minutes in Atlanta to head to Charleston, which uh, you've probably heard us talk about before. It's a, a quite a nice layover. They had about almost 13 hours there, playing a nice uh, dinner and maybe an adult uh, beverage. Uh, only A, because it's a uh, uh, not long layover, so I'd only have one. Uh, on King Street there in Charleston, nice uh, places to eat. And nope, nope, now we've been rerouted. And I'll, we look at the reroute, and I'm just absolutely flabbergasted because it's a deadhead which everybody knows i love to do not um deadhead up to detroit for a very short layover of just about 11 hours and then fly one leg to philadelphia the city of brotherly love and then double deadhead from philadelphia down to a little rock Pardon me, I'm getting all choked up thinking about it. So, uh, yeah. So we go from no deadheads on a three-day trip to three deadheads. And, uh, yeah, not my favorite thing to do in the first place. Made it through there, made it to Little Rock, and uh, spent a very nice evening, afternoon, evening. Uh, even, even though we got there late, we still had about 14 hours on the ground. Um, then we were sitting there at a uh, restaurant having dinner, and lo and behold, get the obnoxious call from crew scheduling because i have that ring on my on my uh, phone it goes eh, eh, eh. It sounds like an alarm just so i know exactly who's calling me when they're calling me i looked at it and said no nope, i'm not answering that right now sorry uh went ahead and looked at my schedule and the morning flight in preparation for the massive snowmageddon that we we're having here in the atlanta area they had decided to go ahead and cancel uh that flight in the morning which i didn't really complain about because well instead of me uh, missing the show this evening completely with a round trip up to Chicago with a three-hour airport appreciation set. I was going to say something else, but <laughs> that uh, I'm glad it didn't slip out. Uh, three-hour airport appreciation sit, uh, which last time I got to spend uh, with Steve Ivey uh, was going to be a three-hour sit in Chicago uh, for the last waiting on the last trip home, which I wasn't really broken hearted about getting rid of. However, get to the airport. And uh, my uh, very astute first officer did a, a very good walk around, came back up. Boss, take a look at this photo. And there's a picture of a gouge in the side of the uh, of the tire. Now, of course, uh, everybody knows if they hit their tire against a curb, you know, lose a little bit of rubber on the sidewall. And, yeah, no big deal. So I looked at it. I said, yeah, all right. Well, what do you think? And he said, yeah, you know, I feel more comfortable if we call maintenance. Okay. Well, I call maintenance control. We send them a picture. They send maintenance out. 
All right. How long does it normally take to change tire, Jeff? Usually only about 15 minutes or so. 15 to 30 minutes, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, two hours later, and I'm still talking to maintenance control <laughs> to get these guys to go ahead. And I have Beavis and Butthead or a Tweedledee and Tweedledum out there on the ramp changing this tire. It, they had to go back to their shop five times just to get tools. <laughs> five times. <laughs> if you never changed a tire before in your life, really, five times what should take 30 minutes in an outstation that they don't you know need to do things a little more methodical and they don't do it all the time five times it took over two hours made a liar out of me made a liar out of my company and it is it was unbelievable so you know what hats off to them finally getting it done but they were not our you know normal maintenance crew their contract so I kind of got to the point that I explained that to the passengers and said, hey, you know, they're going to get it done safely. I'm not taking the aircraft unsafe. But the whole entire two hours I spent uh, communicating with them as much as I possibly could and uh, joking, of course, made a few jokes and put everybody at ease. And by the time we got to Atlanta, everybody was uh, uh, thankful and very relaxed. So that's that's really a success in its own right. However, very frustrating because I knew I wanted to be home in time for this show uh but fortunately i'm here yeah you got home and we're still in the intro portion of the show so job well done yeah made Dana. it made it now the important part even though i'm still in part of my, well i actually took the applets off and mm -hmm. so i'm really not in uniform anymore am i i can have a drink yeah please do. yes <laughs> yes Celebrate. Oh, cheers I, I think i think we all needed this today oh yes yes absolutely. Subway? celebration yeah, yeah well that's all i have right now <laughs> I have, I have, this is my penultimate celebration. Oh, very nice. My, my, mine's empty. We need the, uh, the coffee bar fund Cough, uh, coffee thing. so I can get another one. Is that one so of the beers one of the that thing? I was supposed to be drinking? Yeah. Okay. One other thing I, I do start, uh, I do start a three day tomorrow. So I get to be up early tomorrow morning. Ah, boo. Okay. So my wife is, my wife has graciously said, it's okay for me to be on the podcast. My oh, friends very nice. Tonight. Please tell Julie. My, thank you very much. I absolutely will. So. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Are we having fun. Yet? Um, any uh, meetups planned for uh, this coming up trip, uh, Dana? Uh, you know, I, I've got two very short, shortish, yeah. short ish uh, layovers. I haven't seen anything on Slack, any notifications. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got two Philly overnights. Um, both kind of one shocking. is, uh, yeah, one's about 12 and a half hours when I'm downtown. The other one is 10 hours to deadhead home, which of course I'm going to deviate and uh, probably go earlier because I want to be done earlier on Friday, mm -hmm. uh, because there's something you guys were mentioning. What, uh, what's I, going on this weekend? Uh, well, you know, just this little event here in Atlanta with my favorite boys in soup. the, in the game. Soup. super soup uh, or bowl or bowl. Nick, your choice. soup or bowl, you know, or in okay. a cup, you know, whichever way you prefer, Nick. <laughs> cup of soup. Yeah. Cup very of nice. soup. Yeah. So, Tomato, uh, I think, right? so tell us, yeah. uh, do you have tickets to the big game or what? I have been watching all week. Uh, the price keeps on fluctuating. It's a little bit of a downtrend. And I anticipate, as everybody's anticipating, that they will continue to trend downward a little bit. So I'll be able to afford a bit nicer seat. But the intention is yes, we will be going on oh, Sunday. Nice. We went to the to the NFL experience last Saturday, 
which is a National Football League. It gives you a chance to throw football, kick a football, and uh, do all types of different events. It's set up for a lot for the kids, but also adults. And that's when I realized I, my hand's not big enough to throw a football like Tom Brady can or any football quarterback for that matter. And uh, it uh, couldn't kick a field goal either. It got distance, but I just couldn't get under it. So, yeah. But I had a lot of fun with that. And then uh, the Super Bowl this weekend is going to be party hardy Friday night. Uh, still up in the air as to whether... I'm joining in not because there's a lot going on this weekend around the Super Bowl and have wait, really wait, Dana, that far. Did, did you not get the memo? We're doing the meetup over at your place on Friday. Oh, darn it. <laughs> well, you said somewhere in Atlanta. Yeah. If you say, you're somewhere you in Atlanta. narrowed it down right to <laughs> your house. <laughs> if, if you say my house, I will absolutely 100% be here because then when, we, when we're done with the meetup, I'll leave and go downtown. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We know you're busy with all of your Super Bowl madness. So. Well, uh, as I said earlier, we'll figure out a place. We haven't nailed down the venue yet, but uh, uh, it'll be somewhere in the greater Atlanta area. I'm certainly open to it, Jeff. Okay, well. It's really, really, it it, will be, honestly, it would make it a lot more, a lot easier or a lot more efficient for me to be able to do that because then we could have a dinner here. uh, You know, we can cater it in or Mm -hmm. I could cook something. Um, We'll call. Depends on what time we can. We'll call. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll call. So, anyways, anyways, okay. we'll talk about that later. But okay. you know, we don't need to talk about that show. But hopefully, you have a good showing of people. And and I'm a little more centralized. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to come from the south south side, um, then trying to get to Alpharetta at five thirty six o'clock in the evening on a Friday evening might be yeah. Hellish. And going through downtown probably not a good not place a to good be. idea. At least I'm around the perimeter, and, yeah. and that that might actually be the best idea. Yeah, or somewhere in the Vinings slash. Uh, uh, I do have a couple places that would be, um, we'll talk about, okay. It. Uh, I've got a few ideas. All right. So anyways, we'll talk. We have, we still have a few more days, a couple more days to figure this out. Okay. Uh, great. So here's the last question I have for you, Dana. How mm-hmm. in the world did you get home with all the snow all over the place? My God, the snowmageddon, it, 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 you know what? Did you see any snow at all? Uh, I saw nothing but sunshine by the time I got back here. <laughs> it looked pretty sunny. Not in sure that there was any snow. <laughs> uh, it might have been all the sun reflecting off of that snow that's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, A big nothing burger, as I said earlier. Oh well. Yeah. If if we got it as wrong and as often and that wrong. As pilots, as meteorologists do, there'd be a lot of hurt people around <laughs> because they are just not never even. Wow. I know. Oh, well. Well, I'm I got out of town before it's snowmageddon, you know, and all the. And to, now it's just cold nice, warm. Yeah, it's uh, Indianapolis and um, it's it's not as cold as I thought it was. I thought it was supposed to be like around when we got in, it was about 10 degrees, but I think now it's up to 18. Maybe I. Mm, heat wave. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's not warm. Uh, I went over to the um, yard house before we started recording uh, just to do some research and uh, show prep. And uh, so they tell me how to get to there without actually going outside. You know, you go through that crossover thing over to the mall and then I'm looking at the directory at the mall going, okay, if I go right here, I can go out this door and then walk right across the street uh, to the yard house. And so I think I'm doing what I 
had planned to do. And I walk out the door and I'm on the opposite side of the building that I thought I was. And so I had to walk outside all the way around. And by the time I finally got to the yard house, I was like very, very cold. I mean, I don't have navigational skills. Yeah, it was not, uh, didn't work very well. Yeah, I got all turned around. Didn't have my GPS. it would help if you had clothes on. You're not supposed to go walking around without clothes on. Well, I had on. some, but just not enough, apparently. Yeah, BVDs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but I, 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 the first thing I did when I sat down is I said, would you please tell me how I can get back to my hotel without going outside? And they said, well, you just have to go outside for a brief period of time. You go over here and you go up the escalator and you go inside the mall and you can stay. I went, okay, thank you. So I figured it out finally. And by the time you're done drinking your couple of uh, study materials Mm -hmm. that uh, they say drinking, I mean, study materials, you probably were having problems navigating home and didn't feel the cold anyway. I didn't feel the cold at all. Yeah. Yeah, So who cares? All right. Well, anything else that we should talk about before we move on to the coffee fund? And do you do your your walk-arounds when your FOs... And it's that cold for your FOs? Uh, I usually do. I've, I've been out there when, it, like I talked about, I think on the last show where I went out there and and uh, in Baltimore and I realized it was a very big mistake for me to do that because I really did think I was going to get some frostbite on my ears. But uh, I didn't. But uh, yeah, I do. Um, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Coffee fun. I'm going to get a drink. Bye-bye. All right. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Yes, the coffee fund at the APG. That's your way to support us financially if you have the resources to do so. And... You can learn about the two different ways to do it, the Coffee Fund Classic Method and the Patronage Method uh, via Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. Uh, Since the last episode, we don't have any one-time donors via the uh, Classic Method. We do have some recurring payments, though, uh, from Vigner, Jason, Steve, Alistair, and Steven. And the uh, Patreon method, where you can pledge a certain amount per show. Uh, We do have a new producer, uh, Jay McClintock. Thank you very much for joining the patrons on Patreon and becoming part of the Coffee Fund cadre, Jay. Uh, If you want to join Jay and all the others, please go over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee, where you'll learn about the ways you can do it become part of our part of our (laughs) coffee fund and uh, listen to those great crew logs when we put them out there you'll be happy you did and we will as well stand by for news Let's start with the first item in our news folder, and 
little bit of audio feedback. Take it away, Roger. The president announced the end of the partial government shutdown just hours after the FAA imposed a full ground stop at New York's LaGuardia Airport because of a shortage of air traffic controllers. There were also delays at Newark's Liberty Airport in New Jersey. It was the first real indication of what lawmakers and White House officials had feared, a crippling of the air transportation system. Earlier in the week, the associations representing controllers, airline pilots and flight attendants released a joint statement warning that they cannot even calculate the level of risk currently at play, nor predict the point at which the entire system will break. After the shutdown ended, Miracle on the Hudson Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger echoed that warning about controllers during an appearance on MSNBC's The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. When they're distracted uh, during the shutdown and they're worrying about paying their rent and not the 100% focus they have to have every single time, then they begin to make mistakes that they usually don't make. And they wonder, why am I doing that? And it's because of this this unnecessary shutdown. Sully also warning that the air traffic controller shortage will continue post-shutdown because the FAA Academy that trains controllers was closed, so there are no new personnel to fill vacancies. Radio Roger, APG News. Thank you, Radio Roger, for that. And yeah, we're all happy uh, the government is open, at least temporarily. And uh, Hopefully, uh, brilliant. I didn't need, I like the APG news. Yeah. All right. News channel. Yeah. We're getting big time now. (laughs) I like that. It's a real radio announcer. That's cool. Thank you, Roger, for doing that for us. Absolutely. We look forward to more now. See what you've gotten yourself into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't just start something like that. (laughs) What is, what is, uh, uh, Truman licking? I, you know what? It's best not to ask those questions. <laughs> well, okay. Just moving on. Okay. Nothing to see in the background here. Uh, family <laughs> show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Yes. Thank you, Matt. All right. Uh, item A, Newark Airport traffic is briefly halted after a drone was spotted. So I guess I should have played this. That's our hairdryer sound effect uh all flights bound for newark liberty international airport were halted on tuesday evening after two pilots reported seeing a drone flying nearby the federal aviation administration said the drone was spotted about 3,500 feet over teterboro airport in new york new jersey a small airport about 17 miles north of newark liberty that handles private planes after the sightings takeoffs from newark were halted and inbound planes were held in the air By 5.45 p.m., planes had resumed landing at Newark, but planes headed for the airport from other cities were blocked from taking off. Newark is one of the three main airports serving New York City and the surrounding region. Brett Sosnick, a passenger on a flight headed for Newark, said his plane was forced to circle out over southern New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania during the halt in arrivals. He said... The pilot said that they were circling due to drone activity. The pilot of an inbound United flight from New Orleans that was due to land at Newark around 6 p.m. said the plane had circled for about 20 minutes because of the drone activity before diverting to Philadelphia to refuel. At 6.20 p.m., he said he expected to continue on to Newark soon. Anyway, so it looks like uh, here's another story from Bloomberg. 
Uh, drone causes ground stop at Newark Airport. The pilot on the United Airlines flight nearing Newark Liberty International Airport was given plenty of warning by air traffic control that a drone was in the vicinity. Still, he sounded stunned at what he saw. Quote, we missed the drone by about 30 feet off our right wing, the pilot radioed, stifling an incredulous chortle. The United crew's report was the second sighting within minutes, and that was all it took for controllers to halt arrivals at one of the New York area's busiest airports, triggering, triggering hours of delays. More than 40 flights headed to Newark were disrupted as the airport temporarily shut down arrivals Tuesday after the report from the United pilot. Anyway. Uh, I'm just curious. Um, what does an incredulous chortle sound like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't have the audio of that. Perhaps Man, I should have gotten that. I'm sure we could probably go back and find yeah. it. Maybe. I'd love maybe, to maybe hear. If, someone, if someone would like to find it for Live us. LiveATC.net. Yeah. 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 I definitely want the incredulous chortle. I Just perfect. You know, normally I would I would search for that and play it, but uh, apparently I, I didn't. <laughs> you were supposed to be doing that while you were doing your show prep yeah. earlier today. And I got distracted. Yeah. Yes. Distracted. I see. Yeah. I see. Anyway, so those pesky drones aren't just causing havoc at Heathrow and Gatwick, but they're also causing havoc now over here. And I don't think that it's going to get any better anytime soon. No, I think this is just a series of copycats, perhaps. Yeah. And uh, the more that ha it happens, the more some foolish uh, people are going to think that it's, oh, that's a bit of a joke. We'll try that. Uh, hopefully, they'll catch a few of them and bang them up for a, a year or two, and then the uh, the trend will disappear. But I suspect we're going to get more of these rather than less. Well, you know, the drones are not the only thing that cause disruptions at airports. Apparently, there was a tweet that shut down the world's busiest airport, Atlanta International. Uh, a, a heavy police presence was seen at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport on Wednesday evening, the evening that my daughter was returning from Charlotte to Atlanta. Uh, her flight was uh, affected by this. At least one aircraft, a Delta Flight 2234, was evacuated. One Twitter user sent out a message wondering, what's going on at the Atlanta airport? All planes grounded. Police cars are surrounding this Delta flight into Atlanta. Uh, after inspecting an aircraft that was leaving Atlanta to go to Austin, Texas, police gave the all clear. An explosive team was in the plane investigating the threat. And that's according to Circa.com and WXGA. And uh, I think that... Um, Delta Airlines, uh, from from inside sources, uh, tell us that uh, they thought that the tweet was not a serious one, uh, but the uh, FBI uh, had a different feeling about it, and so they treated this as a credible threat. And uh, it turns out that it was nothing. Anyway. Well, it's one of those better safe than sorry No, I don't think right? so. No. Better sorry than safe, I say. But better sorry than safe, yes. <laughs> well, I, think I we mean, all feel the, the same way. <laughs> they are usually assessment teams that uh, look at threats and decide whether they are credible and how much uh, uh, reaction is needed. And uh, it's a very important and uh, difficult job because if you get it wrong, uh, obviously uh, it could involve loss of life uh, at the worst. Um, but uh, you can't 
take every threat and react to it in this way because otherwise no one would ever get airborne because I suspect there are an awful lot more uh, that actually occur than we ever hear about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Good point. Moving on to item C. Did you guys look at this video? This Russian bomber that crashed. Oh, I didn't yes, find I, the I video. Yes, I did see it. Uh, I did watch it. Oh my goodness! It's, you got to do a search for this, great. Captain yeah. Nick. You're, you're you'll be it's terrible, it's flabbergasted. Awful. But at the same okay. time, just yeah, yeah. Just do a search. Google it right now while while I'm talking. Russia Air Force okay. Tu twenty two. Yep, yep. Um, a Russian Air Force Tu twenty two M three supersonic bomber crashed at Olengorsk Air Base in the Murmansk. Murmansk region shortly after 1.30 local time in the afternoon on January 22nd. According to the first reports, the aircraft was attempting to recover at its home base in bad weather after a training sortie when it performed a hard landing. Yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, of the four crew members, two were injured and were transported to a medical facility to receive assistance, whereas two were killed. And I think actually it's three were killed and one survived in critical position uh, condition right now. Uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense said in a public release that the Tu-22 mission was carried out without weapons, although I did see some news reports that they thought that they did have some weapons on board, but I'm not sure. Uh, the Russian Tupolev Tu-22M3 is an updated variant of the Cold War-era Tu-22 binder, a twin-engine supersonic bomber with variable geometry swept wings. The Tu-22M3 and M3M variants are in wide service in Russia, with over 80 reported in flying with the Russian Air Force and more than 40 in use with Russian naval aviation as long-range maritime patrol, surveillance, and attack aircraft. Indeed, the aircraft was primarily developed as an anti-ship missile carrier for the Soviet Russian supersonic KH-22-32 anti-ship missiles with range of, or missiles if you prefer, with range of up to 1,000 kilometers, 621 miles, as well as for the smaller KH-15 missiles with a range of up to 300 kilometers, which is 160 miles. Anyway, um... So you need to watch uh, the video that we'll have in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, Nick, have you had a chance now to view it? I've just uh, watched the front end of the aircraft break off yes. and buckle under. What an unbelievable sight. It didn't look like it was that heavy a landing. No. It didn't look like he completely, <laughs> completely mishandled it. It looked like, um, it looked like the it was airframe firm. just broke up. Yeah, just as soon as the main gear touched down, the front half of the jet just kept on going and went right yeah, into the absolutely. runway. Absolutely. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Horrible. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, mm, not good at all. I'm not sure we'll ever know exactly what happened there, but, uh, not that, that, that's nope. not something that, no. uh, you know, the mili the Russian military is going to provide for the public as far as accident reports, but, uh, Wow. No, I don't think they're new airplanes by any no. means, though. No. Not at all. Cold War era? Is that what he said? Yeah. Well, they were, I mean, they were flying when I was uh, on the F-4, so, uh, yeah. That's Did you ever uh, intercept a binder? They never came around our way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not actually familiar with the codename Binder. Uh, blinder I am and backfire, hmm. but uh, I'm going to have to look it up now. Oh, see. I just assumed it was like a NATO designation for that, but it, it almost maybe it wasn't blinder. Maybe they just got it wrong. 
Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're about the same age as our B-52s, aren't they? Yeah. The, no, the T-22M is a backfire. Okay. So it's the it's the swing-wing uh, mm-hmm. one, big uh, uh, supersonic uh, bomber, a uh, big machine uh, with swing wings. The Blinder had a pair of engines mounted at the base of the fin, a pair, which looked like a pair of binoculars. So I always to think if you try to use those as binoculars when the engines were going, you'd be blinded. <laughs> so that's why I called a Blinder. Uh, but uh, this was the backfire. Okay. Well, please do, dear listener, look at that video because it's uh, pretty impressive in a negative way. Uh, oh, absolutely. Item D, a Transat A321 at Quebec City on the 24th of January uh, was uh, getting ready to perform flight 782 from Quebec City to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with about 185 people on board. The aircraft was being de-iced when a large number of passengers began to complain about feeling ill. The de-icing was stopped and the passengers disembarked back into the terminal. Local hospitals called Code Orange for a large influx of patients. At least 11 passengers were taken to hospitals. The airport reported the passengers suffered from itchy eyes, dizziness, and a number vomited. 11 were taken to hospitals. Their condition was not known to the airport. Uh, emergency services took measurements of the cabin air immediately after being called on scene and found no issue with the cabin air quality. The airline has initiated an investigation into the occurrence. A ventilation problem during the de-icing is being suspected. Now, in the comments on the Aviation Herald, uh, some interesting ones that I highlighted. And first of all, it says that at Quebec City, uh, you can only de-ice and anti-ice at the gate. The airport has some of the harshest winter conditions in the world, and they have no central de-icing facility. So um, they were at the gate, as the uh, report mentioned. Um, it was uh, at the gate with the engines off, another commenter says. However, the ground personnel started spraying de-icing fluid without confirming that the aircraft was configured for de-icing, which in this case means that the APU bleeds off and the ditching switch on. And again, this is an Airbus A321. And uh, apparently, yeah, uh, another commenter says that the de-icing provider did not confirm with the crew if the aircraft was configured. And that's according to what this commenter heard on the radio. So, Apparently, the de-icing procedure proceeded without the proper safe gap uh, steps being performed. And I'm assuming now that the APU bleeds were open, which means that the auxiliary power unit was sucking air and the air was filled with um, the mist of the de-icing fluid and it got sucked up and burned inside the APU and through the air conditioning pack system and into the cabin, which is not a good thing because we all, uh, those of us who fly airplanes that uh, are de-iced on a regular basis, uh, know that there's a whole long procedure that we go through, a checklist to make sure that the airplane is properly configured for de-icing, which means that you just shut off anything that's going to pull in any of the surrounding air. Yeah, and I mean, don't, don't you delay after you uh, 
get the ice, Jeff. I delay at least a minute or yeah, more. Yeah, the, the checklist well, calls for at least one minute before you turn on the bleeds yeah. again. Yeah. And I, and I generally wait a good amount of time before I even turn and that And even on. then, you know, when you when you apply the power for takeoff, you still you can smell something uh, that is not what you normally smell. Um, so that some residual fluid always seems to make its way into the engine bleed system. Uh, well, and I think I think that's the, the one disadvantage of the 88 versus uh, something like a, 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 a airplane that has a wing hung engines is that, you know, as you're going down the runway, we've got the fluid coming off the uh, top of the wings mm-hmm. that I'm sure is being ingested into the engine yeah. in some way. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the other day I just had my wings and tail uh, done in Detroit. No, no fuselage done. And so, and we had shut down the APU, had both engines running, never turned the APU uh, bleed air back on. Uh, and it, we had no odor in the cabin until we exactly took off mm-hmm. and and had that odor. So I imagine it came right off the top of the wing. Had to have. It's the only place it came. I had my wings and tail done last week as well. Yeah, I bet you did. I was waiting for that <laughs> comment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's just what you expect, isn't it, Steph? Is that, is it that, really is. I was already <laughs> making notes in my little HR. Notebook. Is 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 that what you know How from the comment to... from poor Steph being the uh, the fuselage and the two dogs being the wings? I mean, yes. Come on yes. Ah, <laughs> not sure what the connection is there, but uh, there might be one. Um, anything else to say about that? Oh, I like this. Um, so, I, if I remember correctly, a lot of de-ice fluid is uh, propylene glycol. Based, mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. yes um mm-hmm. found this interesting tidbit propylene glycol has the dubious honor of being named the american contact dermatitis society's allergen of the year for 2018 yay <laughs> <laughs> they made it allergen of the they year won a prize yes yes <laughs> i feel job. like that's not a good prize oh. to win but um yeah i can imagine why a few people may have uh, needed a little bit of medical treatment if they were exposed to that yeah anyway just out of interest uh you guys Probably don't have a ditching push button. Nope. Nope. Okay. On the Airbus, it uh, closes, uh, automatically closes all the doors that are below the waterline so that uh, it seals off the belly of the aircraft. Um, and obviously, it's designed to be used in uh, cases of ditching. Uh, and um, uh, they use it also uh, in these cases just to make sure there's no way anything can get into the aircraft. It's an easy way to seal up a lot of the airplane. Uh, and it was one of the buttons that, sadly, uh, Sully and his uh, lovely first officer, Mr. Styles, Skiles, Jeff Skiles, Skiles, Skiles. That's an interesting name. Um, forgot to. Well, they were a bit busy at the time, but they didn't uh, press that button, which is why the aircraft subsequently sank. Ooh. Oh well. Partially. Yeah. So. Uh, and I, it's my understanding also that uh, not all of the narrow-body Airbuses have that switch, or do they all? I thought there was. Don't know. A, a I, I don't have extensive yeah. knowledge of all the marks. <sighs> Just the ones I fly. Right. That's hard enough. All the ones that you fly have the switch. Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, we only have one hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> One hole below the 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 water line. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Well, is that, that and, the one the passengers and, get in? Through? Well, no, no, no. And, and and it's only because it just did recurrent last week, and they actually had us ditch in the water. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Um, 
it actually went very well. Did they actually let um, you touch the water, or did they stop it? Before? Oh yeah, he he. You no, know, they're supposed to stop you at a thousand, but yeah, um, the FO was flying, and I took over, and uh, I took the airplane, and just above the water, I started bringing, you know, bleeding off my airspeed, bleeding off my airspeed, pulled my nose way up until just, just, just got stall, and that's when I but when I hit the hit the water. Mm-hmm. So I basically hit it as slow as I possibly could. So it worked out well. But on our airplane, uh, the only thing that you have to really be concerned about with big open hole on, on the fuselage, and we do have it, you could think of it as a, a, a ditching switch, is the auto pressure controller. If you go to manual and close those two, which is the sugar scoop and also the big uh, uh, plate back there, which is the, the um, um it's that's the biggest hole in the airplane uh that will we'll close those two and then it we're pretty much uh, closed up on the 88 to 90 we do have the uh, vscf uh openings but i don't think they're going to flood the airplane very much so you know on our airplane we don't we wouldn't actually need a ditching switch the vscf the varial speed uh constant frequency constant frequency drive thing yes Yes, kind of crazy. System. Variable speed, constant frequency. All right. Is that a generator drive of some kind? Yeah. So they yes. had this brilliant idea instead of having the uh, the CSDs, the uh, generator on the accessory case at the engine. Uh, they put the all that stuff like up in the front of the fuselage, and they have. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a complicated system, but it's it. They put the generators in the front one. Yeah. You've got a huge drive shaft going down the length of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they with have mo- with mice running on <laughs> on the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hamsters actually. <laughs> I think that uh, after they did that, they thought, you know, that wasn't really a really great idea, but they did it. It, it was already done. <laughs> so <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Um, e tornado Rex. Excuse me. Tornado wreaks havoc on Turkish airport. Reek, reek. Uh, damages planes. I used to fly the tornado. Well, you probably wreaked Did havoc you? on all kinds of things. Was <laughs> <laughs> it me? Honest. Yeah, right. What was his name? Uh, at least 12 people waiting to board a plane in Turkey were injured after a powerful tornado caused significant damage to two airplanes and toppled multiple buses. Travelers waiting to board their plane at Antalya International Airport. Is that the way you pronounce that? Uh, Antala. Um, anyway, that international airport in Turkey on Saturday filmed intense footage of the storm as it pushed around planes, toppled air stairs, and flipped buses. Sorry, Jen. Uh, an Airbus A321-231 belonging to Owner Air or Owner Air and a Boeing 737 MAX 8 belonging to Corindon Airline were both damaged in the powerful storm, according to airlive.net. In addition, two buses, two minibuses, two air stairs, and one police helicopter were also damaged. At- oh, those air stairs. I know. Oh, no. oh by the way, I'm uh, flipping a bus. Pardon? I'm flipping a bus. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Good. Isn't that what you call that sign? Uh, no. 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 Oh, okay. What's... <laughs> <laughs> it's flipping a bird oh, is what bird. you're doing. Oh, okay. It's a bird, yes. yes. I'm sure there were no, some birds bird. flipped in this tornado, too. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll work on your, yeah. uh, yeah, you, your yeah. American in, yeah, in Your American nomenclature. Yeah, fair enough. At least 12 okay. passengers Sorry, were injured while on a bus waiting to board. And uh, anyway, so 
check it out again, another video you need to see if you haven't already. Um, yeah, it, it was a, a, a bona fide tornado that hit the airport and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm surprised uh, there's not more damage on uh, American soil from these sort of things because you guys, you know, you're, you're, you know, there's a lot of these things, don't you? Yeah, we but, do. Uh, get quite a lot of I tornadoes. Don't expect to get them in Turkey. No, I was kind of surprised to, to to read about this. I, I didn't realize that yeah. they. That's probably not a a normal thing for Turkey. What wouldn't I thought so? Yeah. Well, you can get a tornado anywhere in the world. They just happen to be much more common in certain places. In Australia, they call them willy willies. Willy willy. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, the little ones, the little ones that oh, are like a wee willies, like a dirt, wee wee dirt devil or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dust devil or dust devil. Dust yeah. devil. Yeah. That's water spout over the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And did you hear about this over uh, in the UK, uh, Nick? About this footballer uh, that was. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Emiliano Sala. Uh, was in a uh, Piper 46, I think. It's a Malibu. A Malibu. Is that a 46? Something like that. Anyway, I, I don't know what the numbers are. But he was on, he was a passenger on a Malibu, and it was just he and the pilot. And he was using WhatsApp. And I guess there's a way that you can record audio on WhatsApp. And... He uh, said, hi, friends, I'm here in Nantes, 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 I'm not sure how you pronounce it, N-A-N-T-E-S, doing millions of things. There I am on a plane that seems to about fall apart. I'm tired. If all goes well tomorrow, I train with my new team. If in an hour and a half you have no news of me, I do not know if they will send someone to find me because it will be hard to find me. So apparently this guy... <laughs> sense that there was something not quite right about this flight and apparently the last uh, radar uh, report from this airplane they were about 5,000 feet I guess the weather wasn't very good apparently uh, the Malibu does not do well in icing conditions apparently I'm not even sure if it's if it's certified for flight into known icing conditions I'm not sure uh, but uh Apparently, um, this may—they're thinking that this is what may have happened when they were flying over the English Channel. Probably got to the point where the airplane became uncontrollable. Whatever, it crashed into the English Channel. They're thinking, um, and yeah, yeah. So, what have you heard? I, I think it, Nick. Yeah. Um, well, they—you they, oh, know, the newspapers are like they're, there's uh, there's flat facts in inverted commas flying around all over the place. Yeah. So, um, they were trying to work out whether the guy uh, was flying this as a commercial flight. It appears not. It appears it was a favor for a friend, uh, but he wasn't uh, very current. Um, he, he was working on, a, on an FAA license, uh, which allowed him to fly this aircraft. This aircraft is not certified for uh, to do commercial flights in the United Kingdom. Oh. So he couldn't have uh, taken money for it unless it was, you know, under the counter. Um mm. So uh, he was a private pilot, uh, and um, you know apparently had been due to leave that morning, but for some reason there was d delay. I don't know what that delay was. No one seems to have found out. They left quite late, and then it got dark, and they were flying around the Channel Islands, and uh, they were speaking to one of the uh, uh, air traffic authorities on the Channel Islands, and uh, they just disappeared. So. Uh, 
Um, not good. And they haven't found, they found a few bits of wreckage, but they haven't found uh, any sign of the, the main part of the aircraft or any bodies or anything as yet. So where, where are the Channel Islands? They're kind of, uh, they're not, they're halfway between England and France, they're, except they're not halfway. They're slightly more on the French side. Okay. So, uh, um, yeah, they, they're under uh, kind of British uh, oversight, mm-hmm. but they, they do have their own uh, uh, independent laws and things. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of where they are. Oh, wow. And I, I think it's Nantes. Uh, Nantes? N-A-N-T-A-T-S. Okay. Nantes. Is that in, in France? Yes, but I'm I'm no expert on French pronunciation. Uh, what does um, Truman think? What is how does he that pronounce? <laughs> that sounded yeah, like Taco. That was his French. Was that Truman or Taco? Okay, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah. I think that was Truman. <laughs> <laughs> They're imitating each other now. Yes, That's very yes. clever. I know. Well, finally, in the news folder, we have this: a runway incursion of a Hawaiian Airlines flight, uh, an Airbus A330 at Tokyo's Haneda Airport, uh, which, which, excuse me, uh, did cause some go-arounds. And apparently two airplanes did have to go around because of the airplane that was on the runway, uh, the active runway, and it was not supposed to be there. And there is some video. I'll play the audio from the video. We can hear a little bit of this. Oops, sorry about that. You could hear the whole, um, or watch the video. Uh, apparently, this was a plane spotter. Um, I'm guessing that took this video uh, because you can kind of hear some of the noises he's making in the background. And he must have a scanner or something listening to the. He's also got a bit of a cold because yeah. he does a lot. Of not sneaking. sure what that noise is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a yeah. background noise. Yeah, it's not a great <laughs> recording, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, at least, you know, you kind of... He's not using the nice microphone. Yeah, no. No. He's not using a nice microphone. But uh, at least we got a chance to hear a little bit of... There's more to it. Uh, It's a three-minute and six-second video that is posted, and which we'll have in the the show notes. Uh, But uh, apparently the Hawaiian flight was heading out for takeoff and missed or didn't do the proper thing and ended up encroaching or... uh, intruding upon the active runway and caused two airplanes to go around. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah, he was supposed to hold short, and he didn't. He yeah. just carried on and taxied up Bravo 7 onto onto the active runway and then sat there. So, <laughs> yeah, let's just stop. Well, so I've, yeah, not, I've not flown into to that airport. Nick, have you? 
No, it was one of our major diversions out of uh, okay. Narita when we flew there. And the only comment I'm going to say is, uh, you know, a lot of these airports at night are hard to navigate around. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you, you've got to have an ear for um, the Japanese accent when they're speaking English, because for the first time you hear it, it's a bit like the first time you go to JFK and start getting uh, the controllers and they're talking a bit fast <laughs> and they're in their New York accent mode. <laughs> And you I just keep looking at the other bloke. Going, what did they what say? Did he say? <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? I don't know. Just stop. Exactly. Was that, was that English? Do they, I don't need, yeah. I don't need English a translator in, this in New York. <laughs> I, I don't need a translator in New York. So does that mean I don't need a translator in in in, in I'm Hayenda? not sure that transfers over <laughs> to the Japanese. <laughs> Anita? <laughs> Anita. <laughs> you might do. You might do. That, 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 that. As a boss, <laughs> I'll be visiting so, that, uh, that, that accent <laughs> takes a bit of getting used to, uh, and uh, it's not always the easiest thing. Yeah, I'll be visiting that airport in a month. Oh, that's well. why I don't fly international. Right. Okay. I, I don't have to learn any other accent other than English. Yeah. <laughs> well, what accent is that you <laughs> speak sure. with then, Because that ain't English. Where we're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to this incident. Apparently, the the whoever was talking on the radio they they understood that they had screwed up <laughs> sorry oh yeah there <laughs> Whoops. a couple of those my bad <laughs> anyway well uh happy ending uh except for the two airplanes that had to go around but uh, uh yep. nobody died nobody died in this one so that's a good thing right okay and of course the, the moral to the story is just pay attention please <laughs> what you're doing out there exactly you could impact other people's lives all right with that, Jeff, yes. Before we move on to the next section, okay. Is there a way I can have the four for just a second? Because I've got to talk about something with, with all the rushing around, and uh, it, it's not very nice of me yeah. um, to forget about something that happened this past week oh. that you and I had a very, uh, very good conversation regarding. Okay. Um, so, can I have the four for just a minute? Wait, hang on. Dana, you have the floor. Perfect. I have to say, I had a very awesome uh, experience this past week that I completely forgot about, forgot to mention about when I was talking about the uh, this past week and what I've done, and that is uh, John and Shirley Breck, who uh, that's right, are Brett. Yes, I uh, <clears throat> had the unique opportunity. John invited me to come on over because he they had sent a uh, Christmas card. We're now in January, into January. That got returned, uh, and so they wanted me to. Uh, he was going to stop by, and I said, "Well, you know, when I stop by you, your house, if you don't mind, I'm I'm actually out, and it'll be easier." And little did I know that uh, this gentleman, John, uh, he has come to actually he was here for the 300th mm -hmm. episode, brought a entire uh, setup and set it up in the, the uh, den area. Yeah, he's been to uh, several of our APG Atlanta meetups. Yep. Um, he has, and he has a lot of historical uh, information that he brought over. I didn't realize to the extent what John has in his house, in his basement. I 
one was invited downstairs and I was absolutely completely and totally floored at the amount of information, historic information that John and Shirley have in their house. I saw so many interesting aviation things, including, um, you know, back in the day, they actually had the captain write out a ticket for the passengers, or that to some extent, and that was hanging on the wall. He has aviation photographs everywhere. He has a DC-4. I think it's a DC-4. Mm-hmm. John, shoot me if it's wrong. No, I'm pretty sure it's DC-4. He's got the the commander's seat, the commander's uh, uh, control column, and then the entire center console sitting there in his basement he's got aviation memorabilia that belongs in a in a museum the amount of of stuff that he has in that basement aviation based he actually has a lot of train stuff because he worked for the railway uh it was just it's like a living museum and what i found the most fascinating was that with each thing that we touched he knew an entire backstory on each item. So where it, where it came from, what it was. He, 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 he showed me the first flight recorder that was ever installed on an airplane. And I forget what it's called because uh, I'm not very good with names. But it was the first flight recorder. And, it, and it, I think it recorded something with the uh, um, parameter of, 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 of speech um, one other parameter of what the flight controls were, and there's there's three parameters. I don't remember them all. He had the actual manual that goes with it. It, it was just absolutely amazing. Anybody that ever comes to Atlanta, and I and I spoke at length with Jeff about this, including and, and I texted Nick as well. Anybody that ever comes to Atlanta has got to, with advance warning, come over to John's house because. It is an absolute gold mine for any aviation enthusiast in the world because he probably has, I'm not going to say the best personal aviation collection in the world, personal, but probably one of the best personal aviation collections in the world. He's got a magazine from, I think it was 1947 from Pan Am, I think it was. That was in a leather binder that is what they use on the airplanes. He's got, I mean, it's it just, it's so fascinating. He's got, he's got an original uh, pilot operating handbook from a uh, Acme L1011 dated last update was 1982. I think it was, or is it 72? It was, it was, it was crazy. There was just, it was just sensory, sensory overload. So John, my hat's off to you. You are an amazing collector. What you've done for in the aviation world, you have collected so many artifacts that I don't think anybody could probably ever replace the amount of stuff that you have. You are a true hero to me. He gave me something I promised that I'm going to frame for him. I'm going to put it up. All right, this print that he gave me, all right, of a Delta Airlines, not, very similar to Acme, but not Acme. Uh, jet airliner DC nine, which they don't fly anymore, was printed in May nineteen sixty six. This is what he gave me. He made me make a promise that I would get that framed, and I absolutely will because it's amazing the amount of stuff that man has. Now, John so was a I, longtime employee of 
that airline. Uh, no, he was not. Oh, he wasn't? Well, then he worked for the railroad and his dad. And I sent you oh, the photograph. I thought that uh, that letter was to John. That to was his to his father. father. Oh, okay. His dad. Gotcha. C.E. Woman, yes. the founder of Delta Airlines, a similar airline to who we work for. Yes. Um, sent his father a personal letter signed by him congratulating him on his, I think it was his 30th anniversary. I'm not sure what anniversary it was, but something about his but pen. It, had, it, it, it was his pen personally thanking him yeah. for his service. And I looked at that and I said, I don't think this probably exists anywhere. Maybe at the museum, maybe, but probably anywhere does it exist. It was just absolutely draw, jaw dropping. So, I almost want to suggest let's try to have the meetup at John's house next Friday <laughs> night. I don't know if he'd be willing to do that, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to reach out to him because let me tell you what, it would be absolutely 100% worth going over to his house to see. <laughs> Surprise, John. <laughs> Surprise, John. Party at your place. Surely. Party at your no. place. He's like, I, I'm never talking to these people again. <laughs> By the way, John is in the chat room right now of yes. our live show, and he said it was a DC-7. Not a DC four, yeah, DC seven. See, I can't. I see. I was. I was actually totally one hundred percent over in overload mm -hmm. because it was just. I. I, I just. I was floored. Now Dana sent me some uh, pics has. that he uh, took of the of the museum that uh, John has at his house, and I was just amazed. Mm -hmm. That was. I think cool. we. I think we also yeah. saw some of them. Yeah. yeah. So Seth, Seriously if you cool, if you come over in in February. Mm -hmm. Um, for the meetup, yeah, for the meetup, and of course the uh, ah, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would highly recommend that we try to get you over there, uh, Jeff. I need to get you over there. I mean, he is just—it's—it's it's astronomically awesome. I cannot tell you how amazing it, it just kind of took this whole entire APG thing that we're doing here, and took everything that I've—I've I've imagined this is and put it into one room or really two rooms what he has two rooms and you know i have another friend of mine that's very much an aviation collector very similar to john uh not as nearly extensive as as his collection is and ironically the time that i'm, I'm sitting and, and i we, we talk like once once every two or three months and who calls me when i'm sitting in john's basement but my buddy Craig, who is also an aviation collector, my buddy who works American, hmm. and uh, so I took him on a video tour via my uh, via my uh, um, what's it called uh, the iChat, not the iChat, the iMovie uh, or uh, uh, no, no. When, when you're talking via oh, uh, FaceTime, 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 FaceTime. So uh, yeah, so I took him via FaceTime on the tour, and he was just absolutely floored hmm. at what John has in his basement. Very cool. My hat's off to him. I'm sorry I didn't mention it earlier. I'm sorry I took so much time talking about it, but let me tell you something. It's an absolute amazing personal collection. And my hat's off to you, John. Yep. I'm looking here at everybody on the crew, and all of us have our hats off to John. Yep. Indeed sure. we do. Thank you. Yeah, usually I have a hat on. Yeah, it's <laughs> off. Yeah, that's right. Well, I can't believe uh, today. some of the artifacts you've got. Uh, you took pictures of, Dana, because they do look brilliant. It's unbelievable. And Nick, I, I pray, I pray that you get over here to Atlanta because I really, I, I mean, I will, I, I will, 
uh, I'm not going to say this publicly, but there are things that I will do to make sure that you get to uh, see this this uh, display brilliant. because it's um, it's it's absolutely that's the correct word brilliant absolutely brilliant. And so again, everybody's hats off, and I have my pants off as well. Much <laughs> information. Help, Incoming message. What? <laughs> Didn't There's... see that one coming. Otherwise, I would have put the kibosh on it. <laughs> All right. Let's start with some audio feedback from Tom. Tom Harris. Here we go. Hi, BG crew. It's Tom here. Um, I just wanted to respond to a couple of things that I heard in the last episode I listened to, which was 357. Um Sorry if I'm a little bit behind. I do listen to the audio podcasts uh, generally on my way into work in the car or as I'm driving about. Um, and so I'm not there for the live um, streams. I don't think I've managed to get to one yet. Uh, which is a shame because my, my next point was that um, I feel over the last year while I've been listening to the show, it's really had a positive impact on my life. Um, and it's it's something that I, I learned from, not just in terms of aviation, but just the general way that I, I go about things, it's had a really um, positive impact. So uh, thank you for putting the show together and all the effort that you put into it. Um, and hopefully I'll, I will get involved in the, uh, be able to get involved in the community at some stage because um, I feel like I know everyone already. Uh, when really I'm probably just a lurker. Um, but anyway, I'll get on with what I wanted to say. I just wanted to, um, first of all, build on, uh, I think it's Deanna's, and sorry if I haven't pronounced that properly, Deanna's feedback. Um, she was the veter veterinary um, surgeon who was speaking about patient confidentiality. And uh, they got onto the, or she got onto the subject of uh, mental health and the Germans, uh, German wings accident. And it made me think, actually, it's, it must be such a difficult one for a physician, uh, aeromedical um, examiner to to deal with um, because the, um, as we know, the safety culture in aviation, it's, it's non-punitive, it's a just culture, um, it's a, a reporting culture. Um, and the last thing you want to do is for is to put off anyone who might be suffering from some sort of uh, adverse mental health from actually reporting it and doing uh, doing something about it. Um, and if there's a threat that they would uh, be reported for trying to deal with this mental health issue or have their licence taken away, um, then that's going to potentially stop them from reporting it in the first place. Um, and I think it's a shame these some of these incidents like the, the um, Germans, German wings accident and uh, when they get out into the public um, immediately everyone jumps on board and says um, well how can how can a pilot have mental health issues they mustn't have mental health issues but I think the the matter of the fact is that everyone um, everyone has mental health um, and I'm sure we've all suffered with something at the time whether it's situational or or whatever really um, that can affect the way that we think and actually the German wings accident is is probably the exception and not the rule. Um, I think most of the time a mental health uh, problem isn't going to cause someone to dive their A320 into into mountains. 
Um, but the danger is in not reporting those mental health issues because what could happen is is that they cause a, a distraction on the uh, on the flight deck um, and people might not be performing as well as they could do and that could have a secondary uh, impact on the on the safety of the flights and so we have to be really careful because if we don't if, if we create a culture where pilots are not wanting to um, to tell their um, doctors about any things they might be going through through fear of um, being taken off duty or losing their jobs um, then they're, they're going to be carrying these issues with them as they go about their their duties um, anyway just so yeah just just to sort of open that discussion up a bit more perhaps um, and see what everyone else uh, thinks about it but the main thing I wanted to talk about was um, coming out of the closet and uh, no I don't mean uh, in the way that we traditionally um, associate it um, but this was this was prompted by Nolan's feedback where he was talking about actually embarking on his journey to, to become a pilot and he said one of the hardest things um, was actually telling people that that's what he wanted to do and that's something I completely uh, relate to um, as a, well, I'll go into my background a little bit to start with. Um, I've always been fascinated by aeroplanes and aviation uh, from a very young age, uh, but because of my upbringing, I, I basically didn't even consider that it would be a possibility or something that I could um, pursue. Um, I, d I didn't even go there. Um, it was something I was definitely interested in and I definitely imagined myself uh, in that situation as I, as I was young um, but I didn't even think I don't know why um, and uh, I, but I just didn't even think to, to pursue it as a career it was just way out there um, but anyway as, as I grew up and, and I realised actually um, you don't have to always fit the mould um, uh, I actually had a few things that happened um, I, I took a commercial uh, my first commercial flight which um, the um, the first officer or the captain I can't remember which stood up and, and gave an announcement which uh, and I could see that he, this was something that he was really passionate about doing um, he actually stood in front of the cabin and, and you could just see that he was 100% on board with this and, and that kind of made me think wow I would I would love to do that I'd love to do what he's doing um, and then I had a, a trial flight lesson, um, and that was it really. Um, I basically fell in love with it, and from that point on, I, I, that's, I, I knew that that's what I wanted to pursue. I knew almost, you know, to be a bit cliche, um, that's what I felt like that's what I was born to do um, as, as I first took off in that um, Piper, uh, little Piper aircraft. Um, but what Nolan said completely... Um, completely resonated with me in that actually it's as a as a nearly 30 year old man with two children and um and, and married telling people that you um telling people that you want to be a pilot does get a mixed reaction i've i've had and it took me a long time to do it and first i had to obviously tell my well fiance at the time um that that's what I wanted to do, and I have to confess, I didn't do that. I, I didn't do that particularly well. I always picked my moments um, uh, to sort of 
announced to her that I've decided that I'm going to do a 180. Um, and I was studying for my uh, degree at the time in agriculture. Uh, I want to be a pilot, um, which was uh, interesting. And the first time that I announced that was a few months before we got married. Um, and uh, put that to bed fairly quickly. Um, the second time was, I think, about two weeks before um, she gave birth to her first son. And then the, the third time um, was a little while before she gave birth to our second son. So, yeah, my timing hasn't always been great with that one. Um, but I, I think, you know, eventually she, she kind of realised that she's serious about this and this is something that he wants to do. Um, and he's he's very passionate about it, and and I think when she realised that, you know, I can't, I haven't made it easy for her. Let's put it that way. Um, and I do want to sort of, you know, say that she's been incredibly supportive, um, which is, you know, really important. Um, she didn't have to. She didn't have to support that crazy dream of mine. Um, but. Yeah, you, do, you you get a mixed bag of reactions um, when when you tell people uh, when you've got a successful career um, and you're you're knocking thirty. Um, yeah, I want to be a pilot, and it can be anything from. Wow, I don't know what to say. I'm just disappointed, um, <laughs> which sounds which sounds crazy, um, or you know people sort of quietly back away from you like you're crazy. Um, and they can do or it could be um, wow we were getting on so well until you dropped that bomb um, you must be mad uh, and then you uh, never hear from that person again I'm joking slightly but it is it is quite a daunting thing in, in when you're in the situation that, that I'm in to tell people that that's, that's what you want to do um, but what I would say is that most of the time you, you have a positive um, a positive conversation with whoever it might be that you're sort of telling uh, that and I would encourage anyone who, who's in the same position as uh, same position as myself or Nolan uh, you know where you're slightly dubious about actually um, imparting that information I'd encourage anyone to just just go ahead and do it because the more conversations you have with people you'd be surprised the more the more doors open and the more um, the thing that you're dreaming about becomes um, a possibility. And to be honest, what what other people think, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. People don't really understand um, your motivations and your reasons behind behind doing things. And what I would say, and, and sort of Dana said this um, in response to Lone's feedback, but you you got to be true to yourself. Um, there's no point in in hiding something that is an important part of you 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 gotta you gotta overcome the hurdles and, and get it out there and and try and get people to realize that this is something that you're you're serious about um but anyway i, I think it, i suspect this is something that isn't uncommon um and so it would be really interesting to to sort of um see what what the rest of the community think about it and um if there's been any similar experiences and and the crew um as well um, I wonder if Dana, with his um, you know sort of late later start into the, into the career, um, had a similar um, sort of hang up about about uh, telling people. Um, but anyway, that's that's been long enough from me. Um, thanks again for the show. 
uh, as I say, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to many more episodes. Uh, cheers. Cheers, Tom. Um, wow. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to send in that uh, thought-provoking feedback. And so am I getting the gist of this correctly, that it was somewhat embarrassing for him to admit that he wants to change careers and become a pilot? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think so. And is it because of kind of the, the lightness in like in his career path or just being a pilot at all? Embarrassment, embarrassment, Jeff. I mean, it's like admitting you want to be a pole dancer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How did you know that yeah, I was thinking someone, about doing that? Uh, I've limited experience with pole dancers, but usually they're not embarrassed to admit. <laughs> no, then embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Your analogy kind of breaks down a little bit, Nick. Damn, I shall think of something else. <laughs> well, Dana, he um, mentioned you specifically. Um, right. What do you think? I, I mean, I, I think that uh, I've had absolutely no issue talking about it and uh, being a, a, a mid-career changer. And really, it, for me, it wasn't truly a mid-career change as much as it was uh, what I had always set out to do uh, in becoming a pilot. Um, so I don't have any issue talking about it and encouraging people that if they have a, a desire to go ahead and, and uh, fly airplanes for a living, and, and you shouldn't be embarrassed by that at all because it's, you know, it, it's a, a very uh, uh, prestigious career that uh, we are uh, very much a part of and enjoy. So uh, I have no issue tone in encouraging people that want to become pilots to, to do it. Just why not? Why would you be embarrassed? I mean, it, there's nothing. If you said you wanted to quit a, a successful engineering degree and become a garbage, you know, collector, you know, then maybe I might have some reservations. But if you want to, you know, change your career from something that you have been, you know, doing that has, you know, brought you. Uh, some happiness and, of course, uh, puts food on the table and keeps the roof over your head. Sure. I mean, y you know, that's 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 admirable. But if you decide that, well, in the middle of it, I, I want to become a you know, pilot, it's what I've always dreamed, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop everything and become it, well, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think I kind of get where he's coming from a little bit, just being on the uh, – the side of things where I'm not, I'm not an airline pilot. I'm not a professional pilot. I don't do it for my career. And I actually had the experience the other night where I was with a uh, group of acquaintances at dinner, people I don't know too well. Um, but the topic came up, you know, other things we do, hobbies, things like that, and uh, flying and piloting came up. And the reaction is a little bit of a strange one uh, from some people because it's kind of this sense of, oh, like, and I think a lot of people don't know pilots or a lot of pilots personally. So it seems like this thing that's kind of something that some people do, but is kind of unobtainable or very difficult to break into or, or um, become a part of, even if you're interested or passionate. And I don't think anyone um, certainly looks down on it as a career choice or even as a career switch, you know. Um, but I think a lot of people have, and, and, you know, we've heard this from even some of our listeners. Gosh, I'd like to do it, but wow, the barriers just seem insurmountable. Mm -hmm. So they kind of look at you like, why would you toss aside something that has been perhaps successful for you and go down this path of something that 
you know, it takes a lot of time, money and energy to to get into. And there's no so. guarantee that you'll actually make it after all of that. No, no. no none. Because that's, that's the questions that I get. It's like, well, how did you find time to do that? How did you find the money to do it? How did you, uh, for a lot of people, it's a, a fear thing. A lot of people are afraid of flying. So they, they don't understand why you'd want to be in the person flying the aircraft. <laughs> that That is something that comes up a lot in people, uh, in conversation when I talk to people. It's a, pa- I mean, truly it's a passion. Mm-hmm. In the morning, when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror and if you look in the mirror and you say, well, what am I doing here? I mean, you, you just have no f- fire in life. You just don't have any passion in life. And, and you wake up in the mirror and you look and it's like, you know, what am I doing here? Um, whereas <clears throat> when I wake up in the morning, I put my uniform on and I look in the mirror and it's like, all right, so that's Damn. the only guy. But I really <laughs> I really do enjoy what I'm doing. I do. I have passion for what I do. Yeah. And I am I'm thankful every day that I get to wake up and go and do and perform the, the job that I've always had a desire and passion for. And I'm very thankful for that because there, there was a lot of excuses for me throughout my twenties that I made and said, you know, I don't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I get motion sickness, blah, 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 you know, all these things. And, and truth be told, I don't get motion sickness. It was just a simulator that was screwing with my, my brain. Right. So I, I understand all these things now and it makes sense. So if you have a passion, if there's something you want to do in life, if you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say, well, you know, I'm not happy about what I'm doing. Well, make a change. Yeah. And whether whether it's you become an airline pilot or you go fly airplanes, or you just go get your your, your instrument pilot or become a, a just a, you know a, a private pilot. Anything you want to do, if you have a passion for it, pursue it. Doesn't have to be a career change, but whatever you want to do, live live your life because you don't want to live your life with regrets. And as Fred says in the chat room, I encourage anyone to pursue their dream and take up pole dancing. Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, I I, I would just think perhaps Tom is mixing in the wrong circles because, uh, you know, we can be a surrogate aviation family and you'll find nothing but enthusiasm for uh, a switching career and nothing but support, etc. He needs to perhaps find that locally and make some friends in the aviation world uh, who will give him advice uh, that is colored in a completely different way to perhaps those who... uh, who aren't so yeah yeah go visit your local airport hang out with some of the the pilots there um you know go visit some gyms <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, without poles without poles but very well said nick so tom uh, as you probably know there are a lot of people in our community who have done this mid-career change and are very happy that they did so you're you're not alone and uh as nick said yeah, just hang out with people like us who uh, understand your passion, and uh, absolutely, and you don't need to be embarrassed at all. I've never been embarrassed about being a pilot, that's for sure. And you know, it, and that's one one thing here on that, Tom, and that is, uh, you know, today with all the adversity I was facing with a two-hour delay, uh, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back because I, you know I'm not one to do that, but. It's all the experience that I had throughout my entire aviation career has come to pl- come to play uh, in a few situations, and today was one of them. Where uh, you know I'm using my customer service skills, I'm um, using my d- 
diplomacy, talking to the maintenance folks, talking to April customer service folks, talking to uh, the customers, keeping them informed. And, you know, I'm, I'm using all that information I've gained over my entire career to be able to give the customers that are sitting in the back, you know, looking to me for leadership and, and information for me to deliver that information to them. So, you know, it, there, there's a lot of advantage to the amount of experience that I have in, in my background that helps me to, to be a better captain and just not a limited background in, in just, uh, you know, one area and flying airplanes. And I'm not, and that's, that's not a, a poke at anybody else because I can, I can assure you, and I've seen in action, Jeff and, and other captains that have been, you know, very instrumental in my development, um, certainly have put forth the customer service uh, end of things and always do and continuously do. So it's through their leadership that I learned and was able to, and, and able to apply what I've learned as a, as, as all my different jobs and then now as a captain to make a difference for the, the folks on the airplane. So, uh, you know, either that, you know, not only that, but make them feel comfortable with what the folks are doing to fix the airplane. So there, there, there's many levels there. And so you have to look at that and, and understand that, you know, there, there's a lot of positive that can come from, uh, from experience in, in changing mid career. And Jeff's instrumental is the trumpet. Yes. And piano. Yeah. Oh, I've and the piano. Mm -hmm. wow. I, I've seen him blow the trumpet. Both at the same time? Trumpet one hand, piano no. in the other? <laughs> Not that talented. How do you blow a piano? <laughs> <laughs> you play with the keys. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is taking a, the HR book a has nasty twist. This <laughs> I, and, and, and hey, Jeff, for, for once, it wasn't me. I know. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. But you, you, you gave me the lead in. I couldn't have done it without you, Dana. Moving on, you know, as they you say. Know, the, funny, the funny part is, is maybe it's not me that's being replaced here, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, to tell the truth, it's that'll be a great relief. You're all on thin ice. <laughs> Uh, That's all right. He can't get these people to show up for their job interviews. So I think we're okay for another week. Yeah, I know. It's not looking good. Through for another week. Not looking good. I thought we were going to get no a Klingon on the team. That would have been good. <laughs> okay. This this is an interesting one. Try to get it back on track here. Number three, um, Robert, um, our friend in uh, Marietta, Georgia, uh, was uh, he travels a lot. And he happened to be in Oklahoma City last week or a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure how long ago it was, and uh, he got a chance to walk through the History of Women in Aviation Museum uh, from the earliest flights to the present day and uh, enjoy the permanent exhibits on famous women in, uh, pilots in Oklahoma City. Okay. Um, so he sent us a few links, which we'll find in the show notes. One is a video that he did, and then also a bunch of great photographs. And I included a couple of them that I thought were were quite interesting in uh, our show notes and our uh, crew uh, show notes here. Um, there's a nice article uh, talking about the founding of the 99s. And, you know, honestly, I knew that the 99s were a uh, women's uh, aviation group. Um, and I didn't really know how they got the name 99s. But I guess when they were originally formed and chartered and, and formed this group of women, uh, the number was 99. And so that's how they ended up. That is 
That is correct. Yeah, I, I guess obviously Ding. Steph knew that. Yeah. Are you? I'm not a member of the 99s, okay. but I, I did know that. How do you become 99s. a member I'm of the 99s? I think you um, fill out a membership application and pay money. Oh, okay. So, do you have to be a woman? Probably do. Uh, you know what? I am not because I'm not a member. I'm not 100 percent certain. Okay. I've actually thought about joining and just, quite frankly, have not gotten around to it. Yeah. Well, anyways. But I mean, there's a couple of. Um, uh, like women in aviation or women aviation international the 99s mm-hmm. um, a couple nice uh, organizations out there that are very supportive of women uh in aviation and they didn't they sponsor the what was it called the powder uh, the powder puff oh, the powder puff derby derby yeah um a kind of a race and in fact uh and by the way uh, one of the very famous uh, women woman pilots uh, and i think was the first uh, president of this organization was Amelia Earhart. Um, Correct. And uh, so I, I, apparently they had some kind of a, a race uh, and there's like a, uh, a a map and then some uh, news items re, uh, regarding some of the people that were involved in this race. And it's very, very interesting to read. Uh, like, for instance, uh, Ruth Elder, her map flew out of the cockpit. She landed in a field of bulls to orient herself. A ranch wife gave her directions. Uh, race day two continued. Uh, Thea Rash, her engine stopped running due to dirt in her fuel tanks, either caused by foul play or poor mechanics. She did an emergency landing in, near Holtville, California. Um, let's see. Uh, there are some... like. Uh... Jesse Keith Miller ran out of fuel in Elfrida, Arizona, and walked 18 miles to get help. Goodness. And it was not all, you know, laughs and gaffes uh, for like Marvell Croissant crashed and was killed. This was due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, Several of them, I don't don't know how many of them (laughs) were killed in this thing. Um, uh, Let's see. She received. I like like this last. Sorry, carry on. I like the last one here, though. Vera Dawn Walker almost hit her father as he came out to greet her while she was landing. <laughs> Whoops. Brilliant. Oops. This is one of the races that Pancho Barnes uh, was in. Oh. Uh, she was the yep. woman that ran the fabulous barn near Edwards Air Force Base, where all the famous test pilots, Chuck Yeager and such, used to uh, go and drink. Very cool. The, mm-hmm. These these women were <laughs> definitely self-sufficient, like Mary. Uh, Hazlip, she landed in Washington, Missouri with a broken fuel line. She repaired it herself and continued on with the race. Um, and Bobby Trout had to weld a loose exhaust pipe, so she was a welder as well. That's <laughs> amazing good. stuff. Um, Ruth Elder, we talked about her on uh, race day two. On race day nine, Monday, August 26th, she got lost again, and she landed in Akron to orient herself. This made her late landing in Cleveland. Poor Ruth. Her navigation skills were not top notch. But uh, <laughs> sounds like she she did fairly well despite it, though she yeah. she made it quite a distance. It's day nine, yeah, yeah. that's true. She's still oh, alive. <laughs> yeah. Man, Pancho Barnes landed on a car and wrecked her airplane. <laughs> Amazing, kind of. <laughs> it really it really makes you re- uh, realize how how far things have come in, in aviation since 1929. Um, yeah, I haven't landed on a car for ages. Yeah, I know. Me neither. Um, At least like a decade, right? Yeah. So I, uh, after seeing, thank you so much, Robert, for sharing this with us. And um, next time I have the uh, opportunity to do so in Oklahoma City, I'm going to seek out this museum because it looks like a lot of, uh, and again, look at 
uh, I mean, he's almost taken you to the uh, museum uh, without actually going to Oklahoma City by looking at all the great photos he has of all the exhibits there. Uh, some some really good stuff. So please check it out. Thank you, Robert, for that. Hi, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, and Captain Dana. I've been listening to the APG show since 2014, actually right after my flight training. Here's my story. My first flight was back in 1992 when I was in sixth grade and flew with my family with Northwest Airlines from Taipei to Tokyo. It was a Boeing 747. Since then, I fell in love with the airline industry. Throughout the years when I grew up, I was um, majoring in fine art in the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Even though I was an art major and worked as an animator in the entertainment industry, I had a passion about aviation uh, from uh, let's see, from plane shooting, okay, so like a plane spotter, to flight simulators, I tried to learn as much as possible about aviation. Luckily enough, with my family and the support from my wife, I was able to pursue my dream of flying in 2013. I started my flight training in 2013, soloed within 11 hours of light experience, got my CPL with instrument rating in 2014. After that, I went back to Taiwan. I got hired by China Airlines in 2015 and was assigned to the Boeing 747-400 fleet and trained as a first officer. I was honored to be trained with the queen of the sky and also the legend of the sky. Oh, Dr. Steph? No. Oh, he's talking about the airplane, the Boeing 747. I enjoyed ever uh, ever knowledge about – let's see. I, I enjoyed um, – gaining knowledge about the 747-400, and in November 2017, I got my 744 type rating, and I got sick. I was so seriously sick that I eventually lost my medical certificate, and the company had to let me go at the end of the training program, and he lost his job. I've now uh, I've been resting and taking medication to cure myself for almost two years, and during this time, I was working as an airport ground staff. Now, uh, I think I'm about fully recovered from my health issue, and I'm trying to get my medical certificate back uh, so I can get back into the sky again. The only problem would be that I'm turning 41, uh, still not sure which airline uh, would use a pilot not so young and have so little hours of flying. But I think I will sort it out and try to find a way. Any suggestions? I'm all open to it. Once again, thanks for reviewing my story and questions. Wish you guys all the best. Clear skies and unlimited visibility with tailwinds. And this is from Wainung Seng. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not sure. Uh, and he said, oh, P.S. I'm also a marathon runner who loves aviation. Hey, Steph. We know, we, we know somebody over here that does that. Um, so he's 41. He has a 747 type rating. Uh, not a lot of time. Um, I don't know what the retirement age, mandatory retirement age is in China, but I would imagine it probably matches or mirrors our um, retirement ages, uh, 65. So, uh, you know, he's got at least 20 plus years to, uh, to, to fly for, for an airline. Um, what, do you, what do you all think? I think we've said it a lot before. You know? Well, he's he's there, really. He's yeah. just mm -hmm. going to go and get, a, get his job back. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, I, I just see this as just an, a, a hurdle to uh, jump uh, in the progression of his career. A couple of years on the ground, uh, 
I'm sure it won't set him back too much. He stayed in the industry. He, uh, you know, he's uh, gained more knowledge and experience of how it all works. I think it'd be an asset to any uh, company. And he listens to our show, which is obviously, you know, a a good thing. Well, yeah, you need to put that in your syndrome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah put it in your cv you know maybe not apg listener put it above everything else uh, in like bold and all caps <laughs> yeah exactly or maybe i listen to in ABG. very tiny print anything else to end. say <laughs> right to the trash bin with that one um, all right so i apologize i apologize ahead of time because i know i'm gonna butcher the name all right wenang did i get it right I, wenang well, we don't know zing Wainang, 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 my personal advice to you is don't ever put all your apples in one basket. And that's what we have right here. I think you're looking at one job, one, one company, one position. You have a 747 type rating. You've proven that you can get that, that you're trainable. So I think you especially over in Asia right now, they are so, so looking for pilots everywhere that if you're, if you're current and you're able to, and you're able to hold the medical, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to find another job. Absolutely. But we don't Go know all it. the, the, the details over their requirements yeah. and everything else. So maybe somebody we, listening, we don't. Um, maybe somebody listening might know a little bit more about what, uh, why must, might, uh, you know, do to ensure that he gets that job again. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, there, there are, you know, there are some variables. Is he under a waiver, mm-hmm. right? For his medical is, you know, he's 41. You know, I don't, I don't know if the, uh, the Asian airlines look at that in a negative way, but I, I do know uh, a lot of friends of mine that have, uh, you know, haven't been able to move past the regionals. You know, went over there and flew regional airplanes in, in Vietnam, more specifically. And there are other opportunities over there that I know of. So, you know, if you open up your horizons, I think you'll be able to find something that's going to be able to, uh, you know, at least build the currency and help you to uh, to hopefully get back to that airline or other opportunities. There are plenty about. Yeah. I, I think we're all looking at this, uh, uh and saying, hey, you know, you you have a lot going for you and Mm -hmm. as long as you can um you know uh get over this health issue it sounds like you have uh it sounds to me like you would be a an awesome candidate for a lot of these uh, asian airlines that seem to be um hurting a lot more than a lot of other places in the world for for qualified pilots yeah, their expansion rate's enormous, so uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for you. So please let us know if you know what you find out, and uh, continue to inform us of your journey from this point on, because uh, we always enjoy hearing success stories, and I think that we all believe that you are going to be successful. All right. Let's see. I'm going to skip to 16, because uh, I want to make sure that we cover this before Steph has to leave. Um this is from Nick, N-I-K. Um, I'm a newish listener here, writing from uh, Devon in the southwest of the UK. In fact, only about 20 minutes from Exeter Airport, as discussed in the last APG, and which I happen to be listening to your discussion about the possible rescue of Flybe exactly at the moment I was driving past on my way to work. I've been a bit of an geek on the quiet for many years. 
but only discovered your wonderful podcast about six months ago. It was recommended by the science and engineering podcast Omega Tau. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, while browsing BBC News, I came across a story about solving the global pilot shortage with female pilots. I'm all in favor of this, and there is some interesting science behind this that suggests that the female brain is better adapted to procedural tasks, which may be highly suited to flying an aircraft. Could be an interesting point for future discussion. And then uh, she puts a link to a bbc.co.uk uh, article. Uh, regarding, uh, I guess, uh, I, you know, I don't remember if I clicked on this or not, but it must have something to do with how female brains may be better suited to uh, this job of flying airplanes. Is that uh, is that what it talked about? Yeah, I, I, I read it. I wasn't entirely convinced by the article, mm -hmm. but uh, it was an interesting read. Okay. Uh, my take from it was it was just that, um, you know, it's a large uh, portion of the population that is currently underrepresented as a pilot source mm -hmm. or a group of, or a group of people who could be pilots. And um, I think more and more airlines um, for a variety of reasons, it's not just because they not the only reason isn't because they need more pilots, but it's because um, more women are just coming into the field mm -hmm. at this point as well. So very good. She said on a separate note, you get a lot, a lot of listener feedback asking about moving into a career in aviation it's been uh, long a well, let's see. It has long been a dream of mine to fly an airliner. Although I suspect now that at forty-five years old, I may have left things slightly too late. This is debatable and would largely depend on the cost of training, yeah, and how this would be financed and paid back. However, as an aside to that, I've always made the assumption that my eyesight would preclude me from having a career as a pilot. I wear glasses, as I am fairly short-sighted, with a prescription of around uh, minus 2.5 in each eye. My corrective vision is obviously fine for normal day-to-day -day life, such as riding my motorcycle and doing my job. I'm a mechanical engineer. However, I've long held the assumption that anything beyond, much beyond being a GI, GA pilot would require more stringent sight tests, perhaps looking at things such as colorblindness, depth perception, or problems with night vision. I just wondered if you might be able to offer any insight into this. Insight. See? Get it? Ah, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> so she is smart and has a great sense of humor, too. Ah, and funny, everything you need, yeah. yeah. Perhaps, we're, perhaps we're all looking for new jobs. <laughs> anyway. Thank you to you all. I really enjoy your show, and I'm genuinely impressed by the level of effort and time that must go into each show. It really is appreciated. So thank you to all of you. Best wishes, Nick. So, Steph, do you have anything to say about her last couple of paragraphs here? Um, I was actually going to go back to the first okay. couple of paragraphs. Um, you know, I don't know about the data or the uh, science behind the female brain being better suited to procedural tasks. I think that's always just an individual thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can really pick out men versus women in that, that aspect. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't looked too much into the data to be perfectly honest with it, but I think everyone knows just anecdotally um, someone of any gender who is very well suited to a particular task, whether that's uh, you know procedural tasks that are uh, important as a pilot, whether it's, um, you know, attention to detail, whether it's um, organizational skills, there's a lot of different types of, of 
ways that the brain can organize things that might be helpful for specific career fields or, or tracks. Um, I'd be interested to see the science. Um, I don't know how you would go about uh, doing all those uh, those studies, but uh, if you can find them, send them over. We'll take a look at them. Um, and then going back to this is kind of a continuation of the the theme that we were just talking about. You know, being forty five years old and wanting to uh, get into a airline career probably not too late if you have the uh, the desire and dream to do it, the um, financial resources to to do it in a, you know, you don't have as much time to get ratings and things like that done um, as someone who's much younger. Um, but I would say if you're interested at all, go, go get your uh, medical certificate first. So you can find out about the vision issues and see if that would be something that would be limiting because um, it may, may very well not be. Yeah. Good point. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure that there's a huge difference between the requirements of somebody flying GA as a pilot and somebody flying commercially as a pilot. I mean, are there really, um, I don't know. Well, I don't know, but, uh, I was uh, earlier listening to, uh, um, CW Lemoyne. Mm -hmm. I think he does a, a fighter pilot podcast. Great video there. That's good, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he ripped this infomercial about uh, becoming a fighter pilot part, mentioning that, uh, the air force at the moment require an eyesight level of not 2020, but 2200 as a, uh, worst case, so long as it can be corrected to 2020 mm -hmm. with, eyeglasses mm -hmm. so you know nowadays so long as your vision is good with um the appropriate you know lenses then you should have no problem becoming a uh, a pilot certainly an airline pilot where we, we're all blind as bats anyway <laughs> but not me speak for yeah. yourself <laughs> okay well a couple of us are perfectly yeah but we're a little bit older <laughs> than the two say. of you as well i'm not even wearing glasses at yeah. all yet yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you keep keyword. hitting things, mate. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I'm bald. No, no, I'm he's bald. just he's just reading things from an arm's length away. He's like, I can see this just fine. <laughs> Actually, not not I, true I yet. Not. I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm kidding. Yeah, those 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 taxiway signs are getting a little fuzzy, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I still pass my my exam. It's amazing how quickly yeah. it happens, though. It's, you start it, squinting, and you're gone. I kind of can't. And then all of a sudden next, the next year is like, I can't see anything. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was, you know, amazing. when I got into the air force, it was 2020 uncorrected. I mean, you know, uncorrected. Uh, so, you know, the 2200 requirement that Nick was just mentioning, that was not the deal back then. And then even when I was uh, interviewing to get hired by ACME, they required 2020 uncorrected at that point in the late 80s. Oh, really? Um, oh. And now the day after you're hired, you could completely go blind as a bat as long as you could correct it to, you know, 2020 vision. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so things have changed quite a bit as far as require, uh, vision requirements. But uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. So no, no, no. No, 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 no. Seriously. Continue. No, just, no, 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 no. You're right no, no, no. You thought. No, I I'm was sorry. just saying that I think that. <laughs> you guys get your puppet a pile. <laughs> I think, My favorite I, phrase. I think that Steph's comment and advice uh, to, to go get that medical first, uh, just to make sure that there isn't some kind of an issue with your vision, would be right. would be good. And then if that goes okay uh, or well, uh, then start looking at, okay, the reality of, you know, how are you going, how you're going to get the money to pay for those 
ratings and you know all the all the hourly uh, hour requirements you're going to have to get. At- In my mind, that's what that's a case of where there's a will, there's there's yeah. a way to do it. But um, definitely get the medical done first, especially if you have any concerns, because um, there are some things that are issues, but a lot of things um, uh, potentially are not as big of issues as some people uh, believe that they might be. And that's a good conversation to have with a knowledgeable aviation medical examiner. And some things do require additional testing or certain waivers or um, uh, certificates of demonstrated ability. Um, but, you know, that's something to look into on an individual basis. And I personally you know, absolutely agree with Dr. Steph, and that is that go in not even a class three. Get, get your first class medical. Yeah, if you, go if you go want get your first class medical. Mm-hmm. If there's any, If there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever go get that done and if you get that then you know you should be good to go for you know foreseeable future yep well very good now steph you may be dismissed because we're going to do the plain tale next so very good Yes, I'm sorry to leave a little bit early. I'm feeling I, I told Jeff earlier a little guilty because we kind of worked this around my schedule this week but it's yeah it's been a Tough week we'll have continue a, to be a, we'll have a word a with week. the new HR officer. I know. I, I get the feeling <laughs> on this show in particular that that's been advertising for my replacement. <laughs> uh, all our replacements. All of them. I know. No, I I'm know. not going to replace yeah. any of you. Come on. Well, I will probably continue yeah. to to listen for a while as I get some other other chores done around the house. I do have some things to catch up on so the week doesn't get away from me okay. here. But, I must admit, I mean, it's the only night I'm home for what not this last show, but two, the show before last, I had one night at home. And what I do, spent on APG. I have one night at home this week. And where am I? APG. So APG. I love you guys. You do. It's just all about <laughs> and, and please, Julie probably hates us. I know, right? Oh, no, no. She absolutely loves you. Okay. She <laughs> said she'd be more than happy to have everybody over Friday night. But I think we're working on something else right now. Okay. Well, very good. Good night, everyone. Right. Thank you all. Good night, Steph. Steph. Love you all. Good night. See you next week. Get some sleep. Cheers. Thanks. Okay. With that, I think now uh, we can head over to the plain tale, which is basically the part three of the uh, of the, the Speedbird thirty eight incident at Heathrow back in twenty no two thousand eight. Is that right, Nick? Uh, Eleven years ago. Yeah. You you have to do the okay. Math. Eleven Sorry. nineteen minus eleven is eight. Yeah, yeah two thousand eight. And <laughs> so with that, without further ado, poor Nick. Yeah, let's uh, let's hit this button right here. The old pilot's plane tails. Thirty four seconds to touchdown. Many pilots of my generation have oft quoted the old saying that they only fly a four-engine aircraft because no one will give them one with five engines. This attitude in the context of modern aviation is patently old-fashioned and harks back to an era when engine problems were considerably more common than today. Modern engine design and sophisticated monitoring has increased jet engine reliability to levels previously unachievable. On a twin-engined aircraft, it is almost unheard of to lose both engines simultaneously, but it has happened. 
When it occurs, it's often down to one of the few links that the engines share, and of those, problems with the fuel is by far the most common. Fuel starvation or contamination is something that the industry takes very seriously. However, despite our confidence in the power plant strapped to our wings, nature still has a way of catching us out. My last two tales were a fascinating interview with Adam Spink, the supervisor in the Heathrow Tower when a 777 Speedbird 38 lost power and crashed into the undershoot of runway 27 left. Having seen that accident from Adam's point of view, I thought it would be interesting to look at the causes from a technical aspect and see how it unfolded within the cockpit. The accident aircraft, a Boeing 777, is a very common sight in the sky since it ranks as one of Boeing's best-selling models, and it has overtaken the old 747 as Boeing's most produced wide-body jet. It beat off competition from the Airbus A340, and its only rivals are the Airbus A330 and A350. It has a fly-by-wire control system that, like many Airbus models, has flight envelope protection that prevents stalls, overspeeds and overstresses. It came into service with United in 1995 and has never looked back, with over 1,500 airframes rolling off the production line. It has an excellent dispatch reliability and there have only been seven hull losses the very first of which was Speedbird 38 on January 17, 2008. This service was returning to London's Heathrow Airport from Beijing in China and was carrying a small load of 136 passengers and a total of 16 crew. At Beijing, the aircraft had been loaded with over 71 metric tonnes, that's a little over 157,000 pounds, of Jet A1 fuel, with a freezing point of minus 47 degrees centigrade. Aviation fuel for jets comes in various styles, such as JP1, JP3, etc., which are military fuels, and Jet A and Jet A1, which are the most commonly used civil fuels. Jet B is a wide-cut fuel with 30% kerosene and 70% petrol, and because of its low freezing point, it's mainly used in northern Canada, Alaska, and other regions where it's particularly cold. Jet A is usually found in the United States, but it has the worst freezing point of the common fuels. The fuel on board Flight 38 was Jet A1, which is common outside of the United States and is superior in several aspects. It has a freezing point of minus 47 degrees C against minus 40, plus an anti-static additive. During long-haul flights, particularly those that route into the northern latitudes, because of the low outside air temperatures that can be encountered, minus 70 degrees centigrade or below is not uncommon, a close eye is kept on the fuel temperatures to ensure that the fuel doesn't freeze inside the aircraft's tanks. The lowest temperature that Flight 38 encountered was minus 64 degrees centigrade, which might have eventually caused a problem with fuel temperatures 
but with the warming friction that occurs, the total air temperature was only minus 37 degrees centigrade, leading to a lowest fuel temperature of only minus 34 degrees centigrade. This might seem a low temperature, but with a 12 degree buffer between the actual fuel temperature and the fuel freezing point, the crew wouldn't have had any concerns. As an aside, managing fuel temperatures is something that crews become very used to. If the fuel temperature starts to get close to the freezing point, there are several strategies that can be employed. If the aircraft is flown faster, the additional friction will warm the airframe a few degrees, which may be all that is needed. The cruising altitude can be reduced to a warmer level, or depending on the aircraft design, the cold fuel can be moved and mixed with warmer fuel in other tanks. Flight 38 did restrict its cruising level initially to flight level 348, that's 10,600 metres, because the air was forecast to be extremely cold around the Chinese-Mongolian border, but after that it climbed to flight level 400. Although the fuel temperature only got to a rather chilly minus 34, it did remain there for quite some time. As the flight approached London, it descended and took up the hold at Lambourne at flight level 110 for five minutes before being vectored onto the instrument landing system for runway 27 left at Heathrow. As is common with British Airways, the pilot who was flying the aircraft at that point wasn't the pilot who would be conducting the landing. It happened that it was the first officer's turn to land so the captain was initially the handling pilot. He set the aircraft up on the ILS and had it properly configured for landing with the autopilot and auto throttle engaged, the gear down and the flap at 30, its landing position. At 800 feet above the runway, he handed control to the first officer. Shortly after taking control, with the automatic still engaged, the autothrottles commanded an increase in thrust, and although the engines initially responded, at around 720 feet, the thrust on the right engine reduced. Seven seconds later, the thrust on the left engine also reduced. There were no warnings, no red lights, and master caution alarms. This was a subtle and insidious failure. The engines didn't fail as such, but they rolled back to a little over flight idle power and much less than was being commanded by the autothrottles. With 48 seconds to landing, the first officer noticed that the throttles were split in that the lever positions no longer matched with one another, but this wasn't an uncommon event. At 500 feet, the radio altimeter called out the height above the ground and Heathrow Tower gave a landing clearance. All this time, the aircraft was slowly decelerating and would have started to drift below the glide path except for the autopilot, which was demanding a higher nose attitude to stay at the correct angle. At 430 feet, the captain called that the approach was stable but the first officer, perhaps starting to realise that things were a bit unusual, replied, just. It was 
34 seconds before touchdown. By now, the airspeed had fallen below the expected approach speed of 135 knots, and both pilots realised that the engines were at idle power. They attempted to identify the cause, but when the thrust levers were both pushed up to full power, the engines completely failed to respond. When the speed reached 115 knots, the airspeed low warning enunciated along with the master warning. Realising that they needed less drag in order to reach the runway, the captain raised the flap from flap 30 to flap 25 and he attempted to switch on the engine igniters. Still trying to work out what had happened to his engines, the captain did not get out a brace call to the cabin, although he did put out a mayday call, but with the wrong flight number. However, as we know from Adam's interview on the previous tales, the tower had quickly assessed that a crash was imminent. Now below 200 feet, and at only 108 knots, the stick shaker activated, warning the first officer that he was approaching the stall. He pushed the stick forward, which disconnected the autopilot, and as they approached the ground, he pulled back in an attempt to cushion the impact. The aircraft struck the grass-covered undershoot before the runway hard, about 330 metres short of the paved surface, and only 110 metres inside the perimeter fence. Behind them were busy roads and buildings, including the Hatton Cross Underground Railway Station. On impact, both the nose wheel and the main landing gear collapsed, the right gear separating completely from the wing. Dragging itself along on its belly and engine pods, the aircraft decelerated very quickly, slewing a little to the right and coming to rest at the start of the paved surface. Lying like a wounded bird, the 777 bled fuel which gushed from the damaged tanks and the engine fuel pipes until the spar valves were manually closed later. The captain called for a passenger evacuation, but instead of selecting the passenger address system, he mistakenly transmitted the announcement over the radio on the tower frequency. Once the controller had corrected his error, he repeated the call over the PA system before completing the evacuation checklist and escaping the aircraft with his crew. The cabin crew supervised the emergency evacuation via the slides and, quite miraculously, only one passenger was seriously injured, suffering a broken leg that occurred when parts of the right main gear penetrated the cabin. There were 16 minor injuries. The fire crews were on the scene after a mere 1 minute 43 seconds, but despite the fuel and oxygen leaks from the disruptive passenger oxygen bottles, mercifully, there was no fire. The passenger evacuation was completed shortly after the arrival of the fire vehicles. The investigation into the near-simultaneous engine failures was complicated. 
By the time investigators were able to access the scene, any traces of ice in the fuel had long since disappeared, but they were able to take uncontaminated samples of fuel to test. The fuel proved to be completely normal, and the amount of water within the fuel was within the expected range. The freezing point was tested and found to be lower than the Jet A1 limit of minus 47 at minus 57 degrees centigrade, making fuel freezing even less likely. The fuel system appeared to have been functioning normally, but examination was able to establish that there had been a fuel flow restriction. In order to locate the problem area, the fuel system was rebuilt using actual pipes, screens, pumps and the fuel-oil heat exchangers salvaged from the wrecked 777 and set up in the Boeing Propulsion Laboratory at North Boeing Field. This facility could reproduce the climatic conditions that Flight 38 encountered to isolate the reason for the engine rollback. They knew that the blockages had occurred upstream of the high-pressure pumps, as those pumps had left witness marks when they cavitated due to a lack of fuel. An enormous amount of work was done to ensure that the conditions of the test would duplicate the flight, with different components being cooled to different temperatures, as would have happened on the real aircraft. Suspicion soon fell onto the inlet to the fuel-oil heat exchanger. As is common with modern jet engine design, the oil within the engine is cooled by passing fuel through this heat exchanger. This also has the advantage of warming the fuel. Having passed through the heat exchanger, the fuel would then continue its journey on to the high-pressure fuel pump and then into the engine. Despite having a better-than-normal freezing point, it was proved that ice could form on the inside of the fuel pipes leading up to the heat exchanger, much in the way that plaque can form on the inside of an artery. However, the conditions had to be just right. If the fuel flowed too fast, or the temperature was too high or too low, then nothing would happen. At a particular set of conditions, it was discovered that a build-up of ice would consistently occur throughout the pipe system. This slushy deposit could then be released to form a barrier on the face of the heat exchanger inlet, blocking the flow of fuel. When the temperature profile for the tests was laid against that flown by the accident aircraft on the day, the graphs almost completely matched. The face of the fuel-oil heat exchanger was capable of melting the ice that blocked it, but only if the engines were throttled back to idle for a spell. With the prospect of landing well short of the runway, this would hardly have been an option that the crew would have considered even had they known about it. There was no suggestion that a design error had been made by either Boeing or Rolls-Royce. The certification of the aircraft had been correctly performed, albeit on data that was decades old, and the analysis proved that the near-unique features of the power settings used on that particular flight exacerbated the problem. 
Despite the unlikelihood of the situation reoccurring, the design of the heat exchanger faceplate was changed to prevent ice from blocking it in future. The crew on this aircraft were faced with a massive problem that nobody ever imagined would happen, and with only seconds to analyse and correct the problem. There was no checklist, no emergency drill or procedure to follow. They were completely in the dark. The first officer did a good job of handling the aircraft, and the captain's flap reduction assisted the glide distance by over 50 metres, preventing a possible landing amongst the ILS aerials, which could have caused considerably more damage to the aircraft and resulted in more injuries. Overall, it was a remarkably good outcome, a lesson to aircraft and engine manufacturers and all those in the field that we are still a young industry and we need to keep that learning curve pointing upwards. Wow. Interesting set of circumstances there. Yeah. Yeah. Quite. quite uh, oh, hello. I'm hearing myself. Hello. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were. And uh, I was quite surprised that the, um, the circumstances they needed to get that amount of slush to form inside the fuel pipes didn't require very low temperatures. It was quite a, a mid-range of fuel temperatures, but it was mainly due to the very light weight of that aircraft. They didn't have very many air passengers on, hardly any cargo. And so throughout the flight, they had a very low power setting. So whereas normally the movement of the fuel would have carried away any ice forming on the inside of the um, fuel pipes, uh, in this case, it didn't. It was just the right circumstances to allow that buildup to slowly increase until it became quite a mass and that all sloshed forward at the same time uh, when they were in the descent or, or actually on the approach. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting uh, one. And uh, I have to admire the forensic examination that Boeing did to um, exactly replicate the circumstances that caused it, see it happen, see where the uh, ice fell, prove their point, um, and uh, then, you know, uh, basically answer the question. It would have been almost impossible, I think, to work out um, how it would have occurred otherwise. I think that uh, this whole thing was a subject of one of those accident investigation programs, and uh, I was just fascinated by as you said, the process that the engineers went through and replicating the exact uh, circumstances that they encountered on this flight and how they, you know, surmised or ended up figuring out what happened here. That was uh, yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think we're all quite uh, interested in the forensics of yep. both this and motor inquiries and all sorts of things. And I I'm, I uh, admire the people who are, have the knowledge to do that kind of work enormously. It must be very, uh, uh, very satisfying for them to when they come to a, finally come to a conclusion. Yeah. Well, very good. Another great plain tale. And I suppose that that's the end of our discussion of Speedbird 38. 
Yeah, I think we've beaten that one to death. No, it's uh, great. No, uh, someone in the chat room is asking if I'm going to do interviews with the crew. Nope. Uh, I, I don't know the crew, and uh, I think we've uh, covered all that. I have listened to the interviews that uh, the captain gave afterwards, uh, and after he put out his book, he has written a book on the subject. Um, and he had a bit of a checkered career after that, but uh, having made up with his airline, he did rejoin them. And, um, you know, I think he continued to, uh, you know, have a good career with them. Well, good to hear. All right. Thanks again, Nick, for putting all that work into that. Well, yeah, my, my thanks, of course, go to uh, uh, Adam Spink, because without him kicking that subject off and without his fantastic uh, knowledge and willingness to uh, interview, it would have been uh, a nothing story. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. All right. Shall we continue with uh, item four from Brett? He says, hello to the APG crew. Thanks for the terrific program and conversations that you have. I was recently using the Google Maps satellite view, and it prompted a question that I don't recall hearing you talk about before. Have you ever been distracted in your flying by the sunlight reflecting off of solar panels? There are solar collector arrays of all different sizes around the country slash world mounted on buildings and across the countryside. I recently noticed the large field of solar panels southwest of the Indianapolis airport, for example. Obviously, there are certain conditions that have to be aligned, like the holes in the Swiss cheese. But it could happen, probably. Thanks again for all your hard work and the team effort. Someday, I'll catch you at a meetup. I'll certainly be watching for meetup information at Osh19 Air Venture. I love that place and am so thankful that my father-in-law introduced me to it in the mid-90s. Uh, regards, and this is from Brett Fry in Ohio. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I do remember talking about solar panels and how they can be a distraction. And so I did a search on the Airline Pilot Guy website, and and I found this from March of 2014, episode 109. So this was long before uh, anybody was co-hosting with me. Um, the, except for the one-off, uh, that Dana did with me in Savannah episode 90, but it was still a solo effort. Uh, Tony, pardon, Tony, Tony, excuse me, Tony. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I forgot his name anyway. Uh, so episode 109, we talked about this article, desert solar power plant, a risk to air safety, say pilots. And they talked about this large solar array um, near Las Vegas in the Mojave Desert um, and uh, information about how pilots have issued reports regarding being distracted by the uh, the, the solar array. Uh, for instance, here is a, uh, some text from one of the reports. Co-pilot and I were distracted that, and momentarily blinded by the sun reflecting off the mirrors at the solar power plant facility located near the California-Nevada border near the town of Prim. The solar power plant, which I believe is still under construction, consists of three massive circular arrays of thousands of mirrors oriented inward toward a central tower. As soon as we were cleared the mount or as soon as we cleared the mountains southwest of BVU from 6,000 to 12,000 feet MSL still climbing, there were three very bright reflections, one from each solar array. Hmm. Hang on. I hear a knocking at my door. 
let's see here. Oh, I think. Hang on. We'll have to pause for a moment. Hang on. <laughs> I think we know him. Who may have just arrived? Uh, room service. The hookup. No. no. I mean, Not guest host. The interview. pole dancer. Our guest host interview. Ah. See, I told you. Okay, I so I had right this set up, and so I come over here and. Say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey. Okay. Hello, Stephen. Hey, hey, how's it going? Wait, hang on. Hi, Steve. Okay. Hey, everybody. Hey, Stephen. Glad you can join us. I'm, I'm not the only one that has tire troubles today. Yeah, my uh, my U-Haul had to blow it on the way here, so it's been a long day. Oh, great to see you. Well, not quite literally yet. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> I got to adjust the uh, the zoom on this. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, when we started the show, if you were listening, uh, that uh, I had planned for for Steve to be here for the whole show, but he got caught up. So let's let's uh, let everybody hear about this great news that I just learned very recently that uh, I met, we met uh, personally at Oshkosh in 2017. That's right. Right. And um, at that point, what was your, what was your job? At that point I was working on an engineer, oil and gas industry. And that's what I've been doing for the last 16 years. Um, Kind of boring stuff, but pays the bills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as of um, this coming Monday, I'll be jumping into aviation full time. Awesome. So, what? Yeah. That sounds brilliant. So, if you don't mind us asking, can you hear? Not anymore. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's. Can you, hello, hello? Wait a minute. Can you hear? Didn't I mention that earlier with the uh, um, engineer story? What was that, sorry? No, so, no, what I was talking about earlier, right? When I was talking about whether you're an engineer and you look in the mirror mm-hmm. and you're excited to go to work or just can't be bothered going to work or you can go to work and you know um, uh, hold on i need to go back to the uh when we we're talking uh yeah i remember that Jeff, I, think, I think we need an editor as well as a producer well no no we're talking about the global shortage right and, and whether the person was going to go ahead yeah, yeah. and uh, make the change right mm-hmm. so i was talking about an engineer and being bored mm-hmm. or you know putting on your uniform being excited about what you do for a living. Yes, we remember that. So now we have this unbelievable experience sitting right next to you to your right, Jeff, that can tell us about what is really going on and what the inspiration is behind the story. Thank you. All you. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Um, so you've always been interested in aviation. I've always been interested in aviation. Obviously, you're going to Air Venture and yep. such. EA member for as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, I'm originally from the UK, so I was in the Air Training Corps, which I know Nick knows about. Of course, I was a member for many years, uh, and, I, and I instructed. Me too. I was a 137 Squadron here in Presswick. Ah, excellent. Yeah. I was uh, in six, uh, sorry, 261 Squadron, Guildford. So uh, aviation's been lifelong for me. I did try and uh, join the Royal Air Force back in the day. Didn't quite make it as a pilot, mm-hmm. um, so I jumped into engineering. But I've always had a love of flying. Just never made the jump. Um, and just recently, I became a little bit disillusioned 
with work, you know, maybe hitting the midlife crisis a little bit early. I'm, I'm 34, but okay. Um, and basically, my, it all comes down to my wife. Really, she she really pushed me. She's like, "Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not look at this?" So I did my private, done that instrument rating, been working on the commercial, and then this opportunity came up at Republic Airlines to uh, do their ab initio program, albeit jumped in at advanced stage, and uh, going from there. So uh, when I saw you at uh, Air Venture in 2017. Uh, did you have a private license? I was working private that time. Private certificate, I guess we have. Okay, very cool. So uh, the ab initio program that Republic has is hasn't been around for very long, has it? Yeah, the first class started, I believe, September. Okay, uh, last, last year. year. Okay, so not even six. Well, not even six months. Okay. Well, that is so awesome. So when uh, I, I got contacted by Steve saying, hey, I noticed you're going to be in, in, in Indianapolis, and I'm going to be in Indianapolis, too, around that time frame. So I'd love to get together for a meetup or whatever. And and then he mentioned just kind of casually, oh, I'm you know <laughs> starting training with uh, the Ab Initio program with uh, Republic. So how much uh, time do you have right now? Uh, I've only got 250 hours or so. 250, okay. And so the Ab Initio Gets you uh, how many more hours? It, it takes you all the way up to the – so it's it's similar to some of the other flight schools out there and it's orientation. So they'll take me up through CFI, CFII, MEI. You'll instruct to the 1,500 hours and with their program, you go straight into the first class of Republic. Okay. So there's a job offer at the end of all that, straight into mm-hmm. So uh, is this something you had to pay them a certain amount of money for? There is some cost involved. Some cost involved. Yeah. Okay. Republic does sponsor the program. But not, a, not, a, not like if you were doing this on your own. It's, no, it's we, we listen. Okay. Now, Steve, now, Steve, did you have to pre-interview for the job at Republic or no? Um, it was all done as part of the one kind of interview. Um, there was a Skype interview initially, and then you go in for testing. They call it a compass test. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I wasn't when I went <laughs> went for it. Um, and then an in-person interview, kind of HR-type interview. And uh, then the conditional job offer Republic is part of that offer for the ab initio program. Wow. Well, I, I say congratulations, yes. Steve. Sounds fantastic. What are you actually flying at the moment? Well, in the ab initio program, it's Diamond DA-40s. Okay, brilliant. And uh, what are you likely to move on to, uh, assuming you're going to be uh, successful, as I'm sure we you they, are? Uh, they're completely Embraer 175s. I don't know. Is that good? I don't know, guys. Is it an Embraer? Uh, yeah, that, that, is, that's, that is far more advanced than anything that Jeff and I fly. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's that's actually... not hard to achieve. Come on. You just threw, <laughs> threw up the softball for Nick there, uh, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, made, uh, it's often referred to as the jungle jet, right? It's a, a twin-engine, uh, wing-mounted... Um, Kind of, uh, it's smaller than the 737, A320 series of jets. Um, passenger capacity, what, um, 90 something? Well, I mean, it, it's kind of artificially held down 70s. to it. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it's a really nice, nice jet. Nice, uh, large well, fuselage. A, uh, Go ahead. Sounds like a fantastic airplane to start your career. Right? That's what uh, hey, First Nick. Officer Craig is flying. Hey, well, Nick. Yeah, mate. I don't want to burst your bubble. But that E-175 has better avionics than you do. Uh, I don't have any avionics. Mate. I'm all <laughs> I'm all biological. But I mean, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know the uh, you know what the aviation world is like. You you fly with this the least amount that you can get away with. Uh, sure. Yep. Of course. 
Absolutely. But, and it uh, works just fine. Steve, Steve, that's amazing. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Anyway, um, so. But he hasn't got a bar in his airplane. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. No. And if you're in uniform, you shouldn't be at the bar. I'm always at the bar chatting to the, the rich passengers saying, oh, it's so nice to have you on board, sir. Well, I'm in uniform. Yeah, I serve you not another really. champagne. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, uh, so great to hear your story and, and uh, can't wait to, uh, for all of us to follow you along in your, uh, in your journey. No, it starts on Monday, so okay. looking forward to get started. Awesome. It starts Monday? Hey, that's fantastic. So he literally just arrived in Indianapolis. I mean, he just drove, uh, you said he had a U-Haul? Yeah, I just drove my U-Haul. It's actually parked just down the street. Okay. <laughs> <I'm being homeless. laughs> Brilliant. I mean, he hasn't done anything <laughs> except arrive in Indianapolis and knock on the studio door and come on in. So sorry to hear about your flat tire issue. Yeah, I'm more concerned with the weather. It was uh, yeah. 74 degrees my left, and it's 14 degrees here. So yeah, that's, it's uh, still chilly outside. That's a shock to the system for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, is is this where you'll be based from, Steve? Uh, well, this is where the, the the training will take place for the next eight, yeah. 18 months or so, and then the the main headquarters for Republic is here in Indianapolis. Okay. And have you moved up with your lovely wife, Lock, Stock, and Barrel? Say again, sir. Have you moved up with your lovely wife as well? Yep. Everyone's here, wife and kids. Yeah, well, she's outside the, the door in the hallway. I oh, know. They're, they're the house. They come up. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, they're in the hallway. <laughs> where, where have you dumped them? They're out in the hallway. Don't worry about them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's no big deal. Oh, man. That's, oh, man. That's so cool. Well, at least bring them in and put them in the toilet with Hillel. Hillel won't mind. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that that is so great. Anything else you want to tell us? Uh, a little bit of show for the wife. She's the one that made this possible. She's making yeah, some well that, sacrifices for this. So, that uh, is uh, amazing. I mean, you hear that story over and over and over again. Um, and we always recommend that if you're if you're going to do something like this, make sure you have the approval of your partner. And uh, she's definitely making some sacrifices. My previous salary, she was able to stay home with the kids, but uh -huh. she's having to go back to work to make oh, this man. financially viable. So. She's the one that made this happen. So. Yeah, wow. She's a she's an incredible lady. Uh, absolutely. Hopefully yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You, you married before. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did meet her. <laughs> yes. And you had a um I had a son at the son. time and now I have a daughter since okay, then. So, so you have two now. Okay. We've got, we've got two and we were the, under the wing of a DC three. That's right, in the porn yeah. rain. Yep. <laughs> I remember. See? That Steve. wasn't rain, that was fuel leaking. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. Or oil. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, hey Steve, if it, if it's any any vote of confidence for you, number one, you're still very young, in 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 regards to the whole uh, aviation world, right? So you you do you're making a really good choice. Second thing is is that my wife made this exact same sacrifice that your wife made about the same age, and it's just it's it's well worth it, especially with with the aviation and the commercial aviation, I shouldn't just say aviation, the commercial aviation world is going, uh, you know, with how how short we are and, and just the fact that you're going through an admin issue program at a regional in the U.S. Is, is just speaks volumes as to where we are right now. So I think you have a bright future. I think you're making a great choice. I think, you know, the sacrifice that your wife is making along with you to to go ahead and, and live this dream is, is going to pay off you in the end. So... 
Now, I'm just curious, Steve, don't answer this question if uh, if it doesn't suit you, but uh, are you tied to uh, your airline for any uh, le- length of service or number of hours or something? It's five years. Five years, okay. And then five years' time, the world will be your oyster. You'll be a captain in five years, won't you? Yeah, almost certainly. Probably in a year. So. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, those Did five years five are going to be a great learning curve for you, but uh, the oyster is ahead of you. So, uh, you know, you just need to uh, get through that and then move on to something bigger, better. I'm sure you'll have a great career. Yeah, thank you. Can't wait to get started. So I have one question for you, Steve. Is there a buyout on that five years? Yeah, there is, yeah. Okay. Let's make sure because it would surprise me if you're there for five years. Well, with that getting some of the trouble, it, financially it would make sense to buy out if the opportunity came up. <laughs> Okay, uh, I, I, I just thought, had to ask that. I would have thought in uh, in a few years there'll be some major going. Oh, we'll we'll buy you out. We'll pay for that. Thank you very much. Just yep. come join us. Exactly. If that's the way uh, the world goes, the way we expect it to. Yep. All right. Well, we were before we were so rudely interrupted by Steve and knocking on my Rude. hotel room door. We were somewhere. We were talking about something. I just don't remember what it was. Oh, I was in the middle. We were talking about a really boring. The solar no, panel array thing. Sunlight reflection on solar panels. Yeah, yeah you were about yeah, to play. I did, I did want to comment on that. <laughs> okay. So here's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah we have talked about it, um, but it was a long time ago, um, uh, almost five years ago. And uh, yes, they are an issue. And uh, you are correct to uh, assume that uh, that could be a, uh, a problem with uh, – pilots flying around these facilities. Uh, I've not had um, an issue with them myself. Have you all ever had a situation where you've been blinded by well, a solar I've, array? I've seen them, Jeff. Mm-hmm. They're there. But I'm, I'm going to say uh, they're no brighter than the sun, and the sun's always there. Mm-hmm. If you've got a low sun, you're going to have trouble looking into it. it just yeah. as if you've got something reflecting the sun, it's not going to be quite as intense, but you're going to have exactly the same problem. So I'm going to say... We have the sun in the sky all the time. We manage to cope. What's the problem with a reflection? And there are reflections all around the world. You look at, you come into any city airport, you're going to have skyscrapers, you're going to have reflections from those. Uh, I personally don't see it as a problem, but uh, perhaps that's me. I, I've got cataracts. I expect that's the problem. I yeah, just because you're things. probably staring at the sun all the time. Yeah, that's right. You're not supposed to. Yeah, my, only, my, my only comment on that is that, uh, you know, if you're landing on a east west runway and you try to take off or land in into the sun, that can be prob- far more problematic than, than the solar array of, uh, you know, the uh, solar panels. And, you know, one of the coolest things I've ever seen from the, from the flight deck, and I'm sure both of you have seen that, Nick and, and Jeff, is that when you're landing with the sun either behind you, well, generally behind you, uh, you see reflection off all of the uh, highway signs mm-hmm. and all the signs on the roadways. You can see all of them reflecting that sunlight back at you. It's actually pretty cool to see that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as uh, the solar panels creating an issue, never have had that. But, you know, landing into the sun or, or taking off into the sun, uh, more specifically landing into the sun can be very problematic. Yes, it can be. All right. Well, and that's always why I have a bad landing. Yeah, it had something to do with the sun. That's excuse number twenty-seven. <laughs> Got to have a lot it of excuses. Excuses. Yes. 
Never run out of excuses. Yeah, the seat wasn't adjusted quite right. Um, yada, yada, yada. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry? No, carry on. Okay. So, Brett, hope that answers your question. Now, if you had the syndrome, you would have remembered us talking about, or me talking about it on episode 109. <laughs> uh, trust me, you don't need to go back. All right. Uh, Jim, uh, quickly, uh, Captains Jeff and Dana. Hope this, no, yeah. So, Nick, look the other way. Cover your ears. Oh, no. I've got something to show you. Oh, okay. Hope carrying. this note finds you well as someone who spends more time each year on the wrong side of the cockpit door. Now, there's no such thing as a wrong side of the cockpit door on the right, but just the other side of the cockpit door. Uh, I do at the controls of my, uh, oh, okay, let me start over. Uh, as someone who spends more time each year on the wrong side of the cockpit door than I do at the controls of my J model Mooney, okay, I've earned premier status at my company's preferred airline. Uh, each year, the airline creates a bit of pomp and circumstance around achieving status. Some years, they send chocolates or interesting reprints from their archive. This year, they've included something really special, and I thought you'd appreciate seeing it. They've created bag tags from a retired MD-80. Having spent many hours crisscrossing the U.S. aboard that fleet, it really made me smile. Keep up the great work, and thanks for adding the calendar function. I hope to catch the crew at a meetup soon. All the best, Jim Drake, and he has a picture of his bag tags from American Airlines. Uh, this was taken from tail number November 479AA, and uh, it's it's uh, made from the actual fuselage skin of the uh, of the airplane very cool so here's what i was gonna show what you what are you showing um, us that is there you go now that is uh a part of a poor old 340 that uh was uh retired from the service uh from a certain acme red and uh and i got it for christmas uh and it's a piece and what i love about this is that they've got uh, the original paint on it. And so it's got the lovely metallic uh, white and the uh, purple, in this case, uh, that was around the tail. And um, it, oh, it's a lovely memento to have of one of the aircraft that I used to fly. This is from uh, Varga Girl, uh, registration GVGAS. Very cool. There you go. Varga Girl. Very nice. Yeah, from named after the uh, guy who used to do the nose art of uh, the right, aircraft. and he uh, did a lot of uh, what do they call them pinup um, pinup girl um, art. I mean, not only yeah, for airplanes, but for like posters and you know, calendars and that kind of thing. Yeah. Did you say old? Who? Who's old? Three forty old. Just goes to show how the Airbus is more of a throwaway airplane. Throwaway airplane. You want to talk about <laughs> old? Let's look at the uh, Mad Dog that's in, that we're flying since the uh, mid '80s. Right? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's if an I, old airplane. Actually, that's the 1880s. I presume you're talking. Yeah, it about. is the 1880s before <laughs> they <laughs> invented uh, running water and electricity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your toilet's just a hole, a hole in the aircraft floor. Is that right? Yeah, like an outhouse. Three? 340 old. Wow. Well, for me, it is because it's gone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Peter. Tell me some, tell me, some me, horrible man. See how tough it is for me to keep this thing going? It just won't <laughs> shut up. All right. Number six, Peter. 
messing with buttons in the cockpit. Hello, APG crew. I was amused by a recent comment by Captain Jeff about resisting the temptation to tinker with things in the cockpit and was reminded of of the story of National Airlines Flight 27. In brief, during cruise on a DC-10, the flight crew wondered aloud whether the auto throttle system received its information from the cockpit engine tachometer or from some other source. So, to test their theory, they pulled the circuit breaker for the instrument, adjusted the auto throttle controls, and observed the engine change speed. Satisfied with their experience or experiment, they popped the breaker back in, and the number three engine suffered an uncontained fan blade separation that pierced a cabin window, causing a passenger to be ejected from the aircraft. Whoops. Now, I know you fine pilots would never do such a thing, but I have to imagine that in all your combined years of flying, you must have heard about or experienced crew members who couldn't help but let curiosity get the best of them. I would love to hear your stories, Peter. And I uh, will include in the show notes the uh, link uh, Wikipedia uh, story of the National Airlines Flight 27, uh, DC-10. Um, so, Peter, nothing, nothing that I'm going to admit to. Now, I, you know, obviously, I, I mentioned that I've, I've been curious about stuff, but I've always been too chicken to do it, <laughs> thinking that something horrible would go wrong <laughs> and end my career, which I like re- really a lot. So. There is something very specific in our POH, FOM, whatever you want to call it. Um, it says we're not supposed to do specific things these days. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't do it anymore. Did it today. No, so anyways, um, yeah, we, we, we don't do that, especially in flight. Um, it's just not ri- it's, it's just too risky to do that. Uh, you know, there's some latitude, like, for example, if the captain uh, deems a reset of a circuit breaker is uh, operational prudent operationally prudent to do so uh, but there's certain circuit breakers you don't reset like hydraulic pumps and fuel pumps and mm-hmm. etc um, so you just uh, you just you don't play around with things anymore just too much risk out there yeah i'm my i'm not gonna say anything. so there you go peter Hope you're satisfied with that. <laughs> We're not going to fess up on uh, on this show because we didn't. We've never done anything. No, we don't. We don't do anything. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's crazy to do so. Exactly. If it's in, if if it's written in, if it's written, then lawyers can have a field day with it, and you don't want to be on the receiving end of that at all. Yep. Hey, uh, we were just talking about Steve's great and supportive wife and we were talking about dana's great and very supportive wife and i know that nick has one of those as well uh with his air force or yeah his uh, royal air force and australian air force career and his civilian career i believe this bit of feedback uh, audio feedback sent in by greg um kind of talks about that a little bit hi apg crew it's greg from sydney here just finished listening to episode 358 and uh, have a couple of has raised a couple of questions um, early on uh, Captain Nick mentioned uh, his crisis with one of his fur babies and how he had to leave to um, to do a job to do a flight and that how he he knew his very capable wife would be able to um, handle the issue and Captain Jeff, you've also mentioned in the past the independence and strength of your other half, and same with Dana, and in how she supported him um, during his early days in flying. And then later on, Joseph, Josine's 
comments uh, regarding the 94% of pilots being in a in a stable relationship and um, etc. And it got me thinking, what in their previous lives did your three wives do? Um, obviously, they weren't uh, they weren't always going to be um, using air quotes here airline widows. Um, they obviously had something else in mind before they met you three. Um, and what was that, if, we could, if I could ask? This is Greg in Sydney. Thanks. Well, thank you, Greg in Sydney. Um, Nick, you want to start? Yeah, well, it's always traditional, apparently, for pilots to marry nurses or teachers. So uh, I didn't know many nurses, so I married a teacher. Okay. Um, when I met my wife and after we were married, I was going to do my airline career and she was going to be, uh, her career was going to be in the banking industry. And then at that point we didn't even think we were going to have any children. So, um, uh, but when we started thinking about children and she became pregnant with our first, uh, child who was going to be 32 in July, um, she decided that uh, she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And so she basically quit her career in the banking industry and uh, was a stay-at-home mom for many, many years. So uh, now she, and she's been doing some, uh, this for, I don't know how long, maybe nine, nine or 10 years, something like that, a uh, chief financial officer of a, of a nonprofit uh, that she does part-time and from, from the home. But uh, anyway, so that's what, uh, what my Linda does. Yeah. In, in my, in my case, uh, you know, all along, my wife has known that my dream has always been to be an airline pilot. And uh, we met in the airline business way back in a very small carrier, a regional carrier for Delta Airlines out of Boston called Business Express Airlines uh, way back when, uh, prior to my previous previous employers. Um, now I'm with the Acme, and she's 100% supportive of, of what I do. Uh, now and, and uh, she has been supportive the entire time. Uh, when I when I met her, I was in college, uh, aviation uh, degree. That's what my uh, specialty was. Uh, went for the management end of it because at that point in my career, I wasn't uh, able to afford it. And she was uh, very supportive uh, all the way through my education, my uh, you know working for for certain airlines and then uh, the decision to go ahead and, and vacate working as a, a ground personnel to, to uh, live the dream that I've always sought. Like, you know, I, I spend most of my time uh, encouraging people to do on the show. And that is to go live your dream. And, and she, she is, has been instrumental very much like I, you know, talked to Steve here a little while ago. Uh, that it's it's very imperative or it's very important to have that uh, support to make that change. So um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't know Jeff. I wouldn't know Nick. I wouldn't be part of this part of this great community that we have. And fortunately, if it wasn't for her, that you know, without her support, I wouldn't be here. So uh, I, I owe it all to her. And uh, you know, twenty eight years later, we're still happily happily married. Well. I'm sorry, 20 years later for the marriage part, 28 years together. And uh, she's been instrumental in the, in the whole entire uh, whole entire process. So thank you to her. And, uh, you know, what else can you say? 
I mean, just it's amazing. Without you know our support of our uh, significant others, we we probably wouldn't be here. Very good. All right. Well, with that, I think it's now time. I think we're over the three-hour mark, so it's time to shut this thing down. Lots of great feedback still in the feedback folder that we're going to cover and uh, move to the next show. So, again, if you want to send us some feedback, uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. There's a feedback uh, page on the the apps, and uh, you can go to the website as well. There's a speak pipe link if you want to send some audio feedback, etc. And uh, we're also... Um, on social media. Captain Nick, you want to do the honors? Yeah. If uh, Shall I speak in Steph's voice or I use my yeah, own? I think you should speak in Steph's voice, yes. <laughs> okay. Right, well, if you uh, if you fancy getting us on Twitter, you can try uh, at APG Crew. And uh, if uh, you want to see us on Facebook, uh, just find the look for AirlinePilotGuy.com. Uh, no, AirlinePilotGuy. Uh, That's it. Just AirlinePilotGuy. I just like her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and, no and of course, we we have a Slack team. So, hello. Would you like to tell us about Slack? Hello. Hello. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. And until next time, stop it. <laughs> until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Steve. Bye bye. Good day.